Hello, good evening, good morning, good fucking night. It is Howard H. Smith and it's back with the Bollocast. Back with another Bollocast. Back in your ears for yet another session of ranty bullshit. So, uh, my name is Howard H. Smith. I am the lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain, about to enter the studio and record their first new album since 1990. That's right, 28 years, folks. Good Lord, has it really been that long? Um, I also perform stand-up comedy. I perform the character Keith Platt. You can find Keith at keithplatt.co.uk. Acid Rain at acidrain.co.uk. Talking bollocks at wherever you fucking find us. It's a podcast. You can't... It's not really not that hard to find. Also, on Twitter, at Talking Bollocks with a KZ on the end instead of KS, Um, on Facebook. There's all sorts of places you can find. And, of course, you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com Howard H. Smith, patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. If you want to sign up, $5 a month, £3.80, less than a pint of beer. Every month you get exclusive content from me just for you Patreon subscribers. And they are getting a particularly rich mixture of um, uh, content at the moment. They've also been responding in their droves with questions for an interview that is coming up um, later this week that I'll be doing, which will be in August's podcast. Uh, Bollocast and um, should be a good one. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, um, welcome. It's all about this one. It's all about this podcast, but it's also all about what's been going on in the world of metal since last we spoke, kids. Okay, well, what's been going on? First of all, I announced a, uh, a live spoken word show, talking bollocks show, call it what you will. It's me basically telling stories of uh, my time in the music business and tales from the road, on the road with, cr- it, with absolute craziness, um, uh, on the road with some of Thrash's biggest names from Dark Angel to Exodus, from Nuclear Assault to Death Angel, you name it. Um, it's uh, it's an hour and a half of me jabbering on. So if you like the sound of that, um, it's at the Etc Theatre in Camden, that is on Friday, September the 7th, and um, uh, 50% of the tickets have already gone. So if you like the sound of that, please do get yourself a ticket. That's the Etcetera Theatre. If you want to uh, come along and see me in Camden, it'd be great. If you're a, uh, a Patreon subscriber and you come along, do, please do let me know. Um, and uh, I'll say hi, you know, whatever. It's cool. So come along, okay? Um Okay, next up, uh, oh, also since the last uh, Bollocast, the uh, Contract in Blood UK Thrash Special has come out, so check that out if you haven't checked that out already. And on the last Bollocast, they did have a competition as to see who was going to win the Contract in Blood CD box set. Um, well, that winner is John Andrews. Congratulations, John. Um, the box set is in in the post uh, on the way to you, seeing as you kindly provided your, uh, your address. Must have known you were going to win. <laughs> um, and um, his his reason uh, for, um, uh, I'm a bit of a sucker here, his reason for, uh, that he gave was that he wanted to give it to a friend who came to see Acid Rain in Glasgow and it turned him on to UK Thrash. So there you go, two soft spots there, UK Thrash and obviously appealed to my ego, had come to see Acid Rain. So uh, that, uh, John Andrews is the winner of that. What else been going on? Mammal. Yes, one of my uh, one of my favourite uh, live bands and um, uh, just a, a great band in general and we've had some music on uh, on the show from them recently. Mammal will be playing the Camden Underworld on October the 2nd. I think that's a Tuesday. It's the only UK gig. So if you want to come along, get your tickets, Camden Underworld. And now, 
An apology. That's right. You heard me right. I said an apology. But Howard, you never apologise. Well, I am this time. Really? This is surely going to be worth listening to. It is. My apology is to the one and only Bruce Dickinson, who, as it turns out, after I spent 90 minutes getting pissed with him, is a really nice guy. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, so I was uh, I I saw him in the same pub as I saw him last time, uh, but this time I was having a, a just a chat with a local about like the World Cup and stuff, and um, he so I, I, I sort of I became aware of this sort of uh, this person in my peripheral vision sort of come in the pub wearing a, a baseball cap and ordering a pint, and I was chatting away to this guy who was a fellow Leeds fan, so we were talking about Leeds initially, and then started talking about the World Cup, and then this guy sort of sort of chipped in and said, oh, what about that Iran and Portugal game the other night? And um, and I genuinely, it took me about, we I, we would, you know, he sort of entered the conversation, we started talking, and it was a good 10 seconds before the penny dropped that it was Bruce. He was looking slightly different, had a baseball cap on, threw me a little. Um, and we proceeded to talk about all sorts. Um, we, in the World Cup, then we talked about Brazil, what they were looking like. Then we talked about the Brazil, the country, and the, and poverty, and all the rest of it. Then his son arrived, um, who he introduced me to, and the first thing his son said was, oh, I know you, don't I? Which was quite funny. Um, and it's because I do a um, I do a pub quiz in the uh, in the pub as I'm, I am the quiz master um, in that particular pub, and um, and that's how he knew me. And so we were, and and uh, he'd just been to see Hereditary, the movie, the second time. And that Bruce said, "Oh, have you seen?" Uh, said to his son, "Have you seen the Death of Stalin?" He said, "No." I said, "I have," and we both started like teenagers quoting uh quoting lines from the film and just uh, generally pissing ourselves uh and the conversation drifted into there was there was uh, funnily enough um uh germany had just gone out of the world cup and he and, and bruce said i've got i've got to play freiburg in two days in germany and the show starts with churchill's speech and a big and a huge split fire spit fire flying over the audience i hope they're going to be all right with that um, and we and we ended up talking about uh, some of the sort of inverted commas spoken word he's been doing and the the concepts behind the current Maiden show and stuff. And it was just a natural conversation that wandered in like that. I didn't mention the podcast. I didn't mention Acid Rain. I mentioned I did stand up. And uh, at one point he was saying, and I, I, so I did spoken word as well. And he goes, oh, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of that. I said, you know, just small sort of one thousand fifteen hundred seaters. At which point um, I laughed and said, oh fuck off! I've just booked a tiny theatre in Camden. <laughs> And I'm struggling to sell tickets for that. So, you know, get your tickets soon. 50% gone. Um, and I, I'm not going to go into into depth on the conversation that we had because it was a private conversation. Um, there was some really, um, it was really interesting stuff, real, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And, um, it, you know, because I wasn't fanning out and going like, oh, what about this? No, what about, you know, just because we were just having a chat and the conversation naturally sort of drifted over to Maiden and stuff like that. Um, it was it was cool. It was really cool. We had a really, really good uh, good chat. Um, and, um, yeah, I was just, you know, opinion changed. Um, uh, what can I say? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I mean, look, I, the, the, the first meeting still happened. So there's no, there's no getting away from that. Um, but, it, it, you know, that it, it, it is what it is. What, you know, that meeting is what it is, if you like. And, um, you know, so there you go. An apology. It's out there. Um, so next up, 
Uh, next up is a, a well-known topic, a beloved topic of my um, uh, of, of the of the Bolo cast, and that is the uh, the Do hologram. And uh, Claude Schnell, famous uh, keyboard player with um, Do, had this to say about the Claude uh, about the Claude about the uh, about the hologram. To the fans who like it, good for them. If, if it makes anybody happy, then it's a good thing. Personally, I think it's a travesty. I don't think it's something that should have been done. Of course, bear in mind that um, I, I'm the first to acknowledge that my opinion means crap. Who cares? But personally, I think it's disingenuous to, to the memory of the man. And I thought, wow, good for you. And what a, what a great way of summing it up. And, that, and he's absolutely spot on. Um, uh, disingenuous. That is, that is the word to sum up the whole thing, I think. Um, and... Um, uh, and funnily enough, moving on from that, I just spotted this just before I was going to start doing the um, uh, the Bolo cast. Um, and maybe this is a little window into why the it is being done. I mean, I know a lot of people said it was a cash grab and Wendy said it isn't. Um, but now it turns out that property from the estate of Ronnie James Dio is being auctioned off. OK, and and. At the end, there's a comment from Wendy. It says, I'm glad that Ronnie's extensive collection of items will go to his fans, museum and collectors around the world to be displayed for all to see and enjoy. These items are very special to me, but I recognise the historical importance of anything to do with Ronnie. He would want his fans to be able to own, enjoy and see these items for many years to come. So... I think there's a number of ways of looking at it. It's either a real altruistic move and, you know, Wendy's saying, look, you know, why why should I hog all of this stuff? Um, and maybe it's just in her attic doing nothing. Or, or maybe she needs money. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not saying that that's the case. But then there's the Dio hologram as well. And, you know, that's not free, is it? And I'm, I, I don't know. Where, does it Does it all tie in? Um, is it is is it about the money? Is 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 that what it's about? Is that what is that what we're saying? Is that what we're meant to? Um, is that you know what I'm deducing from that? Of course, I don't know. And as Claude said earlier, it's only my opinion, and who gives a crap? But um, I don't know. It just seems it, it seems to tie in, or maybe like I said, all of the stuff is just gathering dust in the loft, and she just thinks you know, this way as well be out there. Or it's all dotted around the house and she's thinking, look, I'm sick of fucking seeing this. I'm sick of dusting it every uh, every Tuesday. And um, I could, although I'm, uh, although maybe Wendy has a cleaner um, and, and maybe the cleaner has objected to, um, to, uh, to clear it, to cleaning it every Tuesday. And she said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's fucking sell it. And then I can do away with the cleaner as well. And when I say do away with, I mean, you know, not have a cleaner anymore. I don't mean kill. And I don't. Why? Why would you make that assumption? Why would I make that assumption? That that. Yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell all Ronnie's old stuff, and then I'm going to kill the cleaner because because she, she's made me do it because she didn't want to clean it anymore. Um, bit bit of a leap. Those the regular listeners will be will be used to how my brain works or doesn't work occasionally, but um. But let's just have a look at the items that are on uh, are, are on sale, shall we? Um, it is, I mean, th- th- there is some stuff. There is some stuff of childhood legend, right? Highlights, highlights of the auction will feature the legendary singer's stellar career with iconic bands Rainbow, Black Sabbath and Dio, including several pieces of original uh, artwork, including the acrylic painting by Barry Jackson used as the cover for the 1984 Dio album, 
the last in line. Estimate twenty to thirty thousand dollars. I can honestly say that if I had um, anywhere near that kind of that, it would not be going for twenty or thirty thousand dollars. It'd be going for more than that. What an album cover! What a piece of childhood for me. I mean, I loved that album. I remember listening. Um, I remember recording. Uh, songs that he debuted before the album came out off the Friday Rock Show, um, recording them on tape, playing them back, the live versions were made, then the album came out and it was just, you know, we rock, awesome, the song The Last In Line. I mean, I've got the album on my uh, um, uh, on my phone, it is just, to, for me, it's an absolute classic. To own that iconic, and truly that word is used correctly there, that iconic piece of artwork would be just fucking awesome. What else have we got? Uh, a pair of Moon and Stars patchwork jeans worn extensively on stage with rainbow. Mm, not so bothered. Dio's custom-made violet suede vest with tails and red leather shin guards worn on stage in promotional photo- photos for 1985's Sacred Heart. Yeah, started to go down, going downhill there, so mm, not so bothered. Personalised Black Sabbath hooded velour robe from the 81 Mob Tools Tour. Mob, mob, mob. Mob tools. I'm, <laughs> I'm no mob rules. I'm not going to go there. Mob rules tour. Dio, uh, his his rolling wardrobe case. Some of the most ambitious and spectacular t- stage design rock has ever seen, with props such as monumental um, animatronic sphinx on a plinth base from the 1984 The Last in Line tour. Stick that in your garden, hey? That's going to impress the. <laughs> That's going to be- come round for a barbecue. Yeah, okay. Nip round for a barbecue. Fuck me. He's got a, a working sphinx on a plinth. That's pretty impressive. And then, do you know what I'm? Do you know what I team it up with? I team it up with a massive animatronic dragon's head from the 1985 Sacred Heart tour. How awesome would that be? Stick an animatronic dragon's head over your front door. Shit up the postman every time he delivers something. If they have to ring the bell, just imagine. Right, wire it up so when they press the bell, the dragon's head just goes, yes. <laughs> I get fucking what's his name, um, Eggs Benedict Cumberhatch to fucking voice it as well. That'd be yes, that would be fucking awesome, wouldn't it? I am such a child, but I do think that would be fucking brilliant. It really would. Fuck me, oh, I'm I'm totally away with that concept now. Um, uh, so anyway, and and some other stuff, Charvel guitar, yeah, yeah, other stuff is not particularly interesting. But there you go. I mean, you know. Is that the reason why we're getting the um, uh, we're getting the the the, uh, the hologram? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe so. And and look, I'm I'm not knocking anybody here. Um, everybody has to earn a living. Um, I presume Wendy, uh, uh, you know, Ronnie was the the earner of a crust in the uh, in the relationship. So um, yeah, maybe maybe she's having to sell this and she's trying to maintain dignity while doing it. So I'm you know um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize I'm not gonna criticize her for selling any of that. That's entirely you know it's obviously all been left to her and it's up to her what to do, to do with it. And I think actually you know if she needs the money or not, it's still actually really cool that people are going to get a chance to own that stuff. So you know the the hologram absolute bullshit. Please don't do it. But all of that fair enough. Um, okay, moving on. Um, it's that time of year. It's that time of year when Sky Arts puts on 
six hours of coverage from download and manages to miss nearly every band worth seeing. Instead, we get 15 minutes. 15 minutes of the Blackstone Cherries. No, sorry, we got Blackstone Cherries. Blackstone Cherry, anyone? Really? No, thought not. Um, 15 minutes of Starcrawler which I'm sure seemed like was a really good idea at the time when you were there, but Jesus Christ, no. Um, I mean, fair enough, the singer was nuts, absolutely nuts, and everybody in TV decided, this nut, this bitch is nuts, let's fucking show this. It just wasn't very good. Um, creator, 15 seconds, you TV wankers. Creator, get 15 fucking seconds. Hey, really? Fucking hell. Just not, and, and apparently, sorry, going back to Starcrawler, um, in the interview, apparently they're, they're saving rock. Say, no, no, not. And then, what could, what could make this worse, right? What could, what, what could make this worse? I'll tell you what could make this worse. That's right. We have a nice old in-depth, and I didn't realise that was possible with the man, an in-depth interview with none other than Andrew WK. Hey? Andrew WK. And apparently, he's still partying hard. That's why it's taken so long to get a new album out. Hey? Because he's still... Yeah, he's still fucking peddling that tired old shit. That fucking heavy metal Elton John fucking nonsense. Utter fucking rubbish. Bullshit. Um, I mean, as you might have picked up on I really haven't got any time for uh for Andrew WK so um yeah you know uh, I I don't know that w- what a surprise eh what a surprise but I just you know he's there playing his piano like some sort of shit Elton John and it's just fucking rubbish and then then when you've had enough of, El- of your shit Elton John what have we got thunder Thunder. Remember them? Thunder. I mean, pedestrian would be a compliment. Just, oh, are they on? Didn't notice. Right? And then we get in this moment, okay? In this moment with front woman Taylor Momsen. And you know what? She put on a fucking show. That band put on a fucking show. Great stuff. Fucking bring it. Absolutely Really impressed. Did a fucking great job. It was just nice to see somebody not pissing away their chance on a main stage. Somebody who quite clearly does it regularly and knows what they're fucking doing. And you throw someone else into that fucking group as well. I'll tell you who. Marilyn Manson. Love him or hate him. He delivered. Put on a show. And it was fucking... Sounded heavy and good to me. You know, it worked. It actually... Now, fair fucks, you know, to Sky Arts... That was good stuff. I enjoyed it. But please, I mean, from what I can gather, it was just, it it was like watching the Isle of Wight Festival. You know, it was like, it was just, there was just a lot of mainstream rock and has-beens and just, yeah, you know, just really, really disappointed. But then we hit an all-time low. What did we get? Baby metal. Or, as they should be really termed these days, um adolescent metal yep that's right because them girls they don't look like babies anymore they are growing up fast and that band is sounding old even faster fucking horrendous i mean it's just just 
Four young girls dancing while a bunch while a bunch of old men play incredibly heavy music and inappropriately four girls dance around dressed like mini samurais and jibber jabber over it. Pathetic, really and actually quite aptly followed by Lawnmower Death. That's right. Baby metal, then Lawnmower Death. I thought that was very suitable. I mean, it was it was great to see. It was great to see my mates up there. Uh, and good on them. Did a great job. Um, considerably better job than baby metal. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, look, that's it. That's that's enough of my ranting for now. Although, don't worry, there's plenty to come. Um, OK, first up is uh, an interview, as you will have seen already um, uh, mentioned in the description of the podcast, is an interview with um, um, a friend of mine, Kim Diller. I met her at the Lords of the Land Festival um, earlier in the year. She is costumer to the stars, you name it. I'll have already listed them in the uh, description of the podcast. So rather than list them again, why don't we just get straight into our chat and you can find out. Um, what this incredible woman manages to pack into one single life, uh, it, whether it's doing being in a death metal band, whether it's being a full-time member of Guar, or whether it's making clothes and costumes for rock and metal's finest, she seems to cram it all in. Here's my chat with Kim Diller. Checking the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> check, 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 check away. Um, one, two, one, two. Um, that, that actually sounds all right. Does it? All right, good. I was worried. Yeah, I mean... Sometimes my voice sounds like I'm on, underwater, so... Um, no, you definitely don't sound like you're underwater. Um, it's got like, you know, it's, it's got a kind of live sort of ring to it, you know, acoustics of the room you're in and all the rest of it. Right, well, it's obvious I don't live in a cathedral. <laughs> no, you don't sound like you live in a cathedral. Don't worry, don't worry. So, where are you? Are you in your Are you in your inverted commas work room? I'm actually at home right now. The glory of being self employed is that I can roll up at three p.m. if I want. <laughs> yep, I, I I know that feeling. Uh, um, although I'm just self employed, doing um, a, a multitude of different stuff, and you, um, yeah, you you keep yourself busy to say the least. I'm also multitudinous. Yes. <laughs> That's a yeah. accurate term. Well, funnily enough, b- b- before we did this um, uh, today, I was I was just doing some uh, doing some googling on you, and um, oh god, <laughs> I know. Well, act- well, actually, actually, I, I I don't use Google. I use a search engine called DuckDuckGo because it doesn't track your searches and doesn't retain any um, of your uh, privacy or anything like that. Um, retain your privacy. Anyway, you know what I mean. So, um, first link that popped up was to the Daily Mail, and it involved you. Um, yeah, it was. It involved you um, hitting some lead singer from a band in the face and breaking his glasses. Uh, yeah, like that guy. I mean, I don't, I, it's annoying. Like that tabloid stuff gets like weighted over my like actual accomplishments. Like you get put in. You know, like the Washington Post or the New York Times or like University of Virginia's website and doing actual things. And then the moment you end up in the tabloids, you're like branded that for forever. But um, I mean, one thing I'm always dealing with as a woman in metal is like ridiculous sexism (laughs) backstage. So my friend who's like worked in the music industry for forever told me once like, if you're backstage and you don't look like the back end of a horse's ass, then you're going to get called a groupie. (laughs) And like, I can deal with that. It's just par for the course. But, um, I was working this 
press event for um, 70,000 tons of metal, which is like this giant... Oh, don't worry. Thing. Don't worry. We all know what 70,000 tons is. Good. We've done a good job then. At least all the tablets. So. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we were doing some interviews, and it was my dumb idea to put a hot tub backstage at Heavy Montreal with a bunch of chicks in bikinis and, like, interview <laughs> our bands there to, like, simulate the cruise environment. And um, I guess certain people couldn't handle women being in bikinis backstage, namely people from metalcore bands like that guy. And uh, he came up and grabbed my friend's boobs uh, in what? front of me. Wow. Was, and then she pushed him off and he goes, fuck you whores, I fuck hotter chicks every day. And I was like, do you want me to kick his ass? And she was like, yes. So... I just choked them out. <laughs> wow, that is, yeah, I mean, that is, uh, yeah, well, he's certainly not a gentleman, that's for sure. I mean, I could have gotten security, but I think it's more humiliating when you're a sexist prick to get choked out by a chicken bikini and heels. Yes, yeah, uh, well, it, well, it certainly made the news, and by the sounds of it, for well, for all the right reasons, by the sounds of it. I shut up about it but i kind of wanted to warn everybody like what a prick that guy was because that was just really over the top <laughs> well well you might you know you might complain that 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 became national news but uh, and and that might be you know frustrating from your point of view but the flip side of that is well yeah that guy is now labeled as that guy forever yeah i don't i mean i'm a redhead i i transformo hair and like I, I, that's another tangent. Like, I lost my hair to an immune system problem called alopecia areata. But inside, I'm a fucking ginger, and you can't take the fire out of the ginger. So if you hit me <laughs> the wrong way, it's just like, I have temper problems. <laughs> well, uh, well, you were well, you were more than pleasant backstage at uh, Lords of the Land. I don't actually that that sounds a bit wrong. Um, it was nice to it was <laughs> <laughs> it was nice it was nice to meet you. Oh, that's what I should. That's what. I had a blast at that festival. Oh man, it was great fun, wasn't it? That was great. Yeah, fun. I had never been to that festival, um, and I sort of only recently started going to Scotland. I've spent massive amounts of time in the UK thanks to two British ex-boyfriends, so I'm sort of like halfway British, I guess. <laughs> well, you you um you drink Yorkshire tea, so you're all right with me. That's I, that's absolutely I'm fine. Right now, actually, I was like, should I have a beer? It's too early for a beer, but. I'm more funny with a couple beers in me, but I think I'll opt for the tea high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The British tea high. Nice, nice. I like it. It's, um... I'm on like top three right now. <laughs> so, um, and you, I, I remember you being really, I, it's all coming back to me actually, because I remember you being really shocked about the history of the, um, uh, of the, uh, of the venue. Oh, yeah, I started reading up on the Barrowlands after you told me about that and the serial killer guy. Yeah. Um, my assistant and I actually listened to, like, true crime podcasts and stuff at work, and we'd been on a serial killer kick, so it was interesting to read more about that guy. And I, just seeing that place in the sort of, like, labyrinthian way of that the backstage was designed, like, I, had, I was there with, like, my friends from Bloodbath and we were trying to find the way to catering to get some coffee and pretty much got lost. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I had to show two members of Demolition Hammer back to their own dressing room after they came off stage. Right? 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, like, I, yeah, trying to find Jean and the Dark Angel guys. I've known Jean since I was maybe 16 or 17 years old. They were like on that other whole side, and there's these weird tunnels under the Veni that link it together. Like, what? I don't even know who designed that originally Howard Hughes you know <laughs> yeah it, was, it, it, it is an insane venue I mean it's awesome now I mean I've, I've um it definite definite bucket list venue for me um because we played the previous year and um it was yeah it's just fucking awesome absolutely loved it yeah, I wish I could have seen that. oh mate it was oh so much fun so much fun um uh, but anyway this this is not about me it's about you um yeah. So um, how the hell did you suddenly, I mean, did you suddenly or did you grow into becoming the the woman that makes, from what I can gather, nearly everybody's stage clothes? Um, I think it was sort of gradual, but it definitely took off once I gave it a proper chance. Like, um, I am an academic. I was working at University of Virginia doing research in sort of digital archaeology in ancient Rome. And then I was playing in death metal bands on the side. My band, This Means You, did a lot of band tours across the U.S., and we had a couple you know, metal radio hits or whatever, but nothing, no real big breaks. So we had a lot of fun doing that. And each time we would do a show or a tour, I would create um, another outfit for myself to wear on stage. And I was a college kid at the time when I started and pretty broke, so I started buying, like, used leather from thrift stores and using that instead of buying new fabric and it sort of lent itself to that post-apocalyptic look and then I had some a lot of friends in like bigger bands that I had met just from working backstage or playing gigs and um, one of them was Joey Jordison from Slipknot and he was a really good friend of mine and we happened to be the same size so he sort of indefinitely borrowed one of my jackets one time and never gave it back, which is cool because he wore it to lots of award shows. And then people like Rob Flynn from Machine Head and like the Cradle of Filth guys and a bunch of people called me and wanted jackets. And I started making stage clothes for big bands, just word of mouth, people cold calling me. Pretty soon I had enough orders to like say, hmm, how many jackets a week do I have to make to like quit my job? And the answer was something totally reasonable, like four. So... <laughs> So I did, and ever since then, it's been kind of nonstop. <laughs> well, that's awesome because it, it would appear to have tra- it, it would appear to have freed you up to travel a lot as well because you're always on the you seem to be always on the road. Yeah, so my options are either to like drive myself in circles around the mid-Atlantic region. I live in Virginia, which for people in the UK is near Washington D.C. I guess, and then the closest gigs for me, which is also like incredible in. UK terms because we drove five hours to a gig there you'd be like in Scotland and lived in England but yeah. I drive you know between two and five hours to see shows when people come on tour here and it's a lot easier for me to just wait till all of my friends and clients are playing some giant enormo fest like Rockin or something and fly to Europe for a week or two and see everyone in one place and I'm lucky enough that I can take my sewing machine on the road and I have lots of friends you live in Europe and can sort of post up over there a couple uh, times a year. You know, but that, that's, that's really cool. And again, it's always, uh, you know, to UK listeners listening to this, I, I always I always go on about how, I mean, you know, if, if we announce a tour and, you know, we're playing like 
I don't know, an hour, hour and a half away, people are complaining. I mean, it's like we announced we play Manchester and people in Liverpool complain, complain that we're not playing Liverpool. And it's like, it's fucking 45 minutes away, if that. Um, yeah, but, it's ridiculous how no one in the UK will travel to even like the next, in my terms, village. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you guys live 45 minutes from London. Why don't you go to the show there? I understand Although, I guess it's like people who live in Jersey versus New York, it's expensive going into a big city. But people who live in, yeah, Liverpool versus Manchester, I don't understand why you wouldn't go the next time. Well, yeah. Now, I mean, I understand understand the problems with people from Liverpool not liking Manchester and vice versa. But um, that's no reason to not go and see a band. But... um, (laughs) Friends in metal, like you don't. Well, most people are. You don't. It's not like football or something. <laughs> uh, well, it, yeah, yeah. But to be honest, it, it's not just football. The two cities have a problem with each other. A big problem with each other. Um, <laughs> uh, just in general, all the time. A bit like Yorkshire and Lancashire, as you know well, because you, you. Oh, there's a little bit of a drop out there. Feel like it just. Oh, hang on. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? We just got a little bit of. Um, I just, I just lost you for a couple of minutes there. Huh? I know. I just think. Are you back now? I think you're back. I think I'm back. I think you're back. We're all back. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you were you were staying in Yorkshire for a while, weren't you? Um, well, my my ex boyfriend Dave Pivas, he's from Heckman White in Yorkshire. That's so proper Yorkshire. Now. But um, I visited old Hickey a few times. <laughs> Had some fond memories from drinking at the old hall. <laughs> so, so did you, did you ever get out into the Yorkshire Moors and the Yorkshire Dales? Yes, yeah, it's, it's super beautiful, and uh, I love the Yorkshire seaside and been to Leeds. Hey, York. oh, York's but York's insane. <laughs> oh, well, no, that you've, you've done. He, he did a good job. You've been to the best places. I mean, obviously Leeds. Um, but um, next, if you're ever in Yorkshire again, you need to get to Knaresborough, spelt with a K. In fact, I'm, now I think, I, didn't I show you some pictures of Knaresborough when we were in the dressing room? I think you did. Yes, I did. I did. Um, yeah, it, I, well, no, I, I was just up there recently and it just it just reminded me of, um, you know, of, of how beautiful it is. But um, I think like Scarborough and Whitby and all that too. Oh, right, the Riviera. Right, it is the Riviera, see? I felt like uh, I got the full Yorkshire experience at Bed Bugs at the Grand Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the the, the full experience. Um, so where where were you this morning? Because I saw some amazing pictures. Where was I? What? Um, I saw some pictures you put on Facebook um, this morning um, that looked beautiful. Is that where you, you were out and about this morning? There's pictures of a river and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I live in Virginia and not many people know anything about Virginia because it's not like a tourist destination, but I'm sort of like the metal host. I call myself like the metal ambassador of the U.S. because especially like all the Scandinavian bands are friends with me. And whenever they come on U.S. tours, they come stay at my house and I'll pick them up and they know nothing about Virginia. But when they get here, they're like, I don't know why we haven't come sooner. This is the most beautiful place. I've been in America, and I live in the, like, touristy mountain part of Virginia where University of Virginia is, and there's lots of amazing mountain views and rivers and lakes and breweries and wineries, and we have, you know, close proximity in American terms to three or four big cities like D.C., Baltimore, Richmond, Charlotte, but 
I don't actually have to put up with living in a city and all the expenses and things like that. Um, but every, every Sunday when I'm home in the summer, we do a thing called tubing, which is sort of like the American redneck amusement park. And what you do is you take an inner tube from a tire and you sit in it and you strap another inner tube from a tire with a cooler of beer in it to your inner tube. And then you float down a river for about five or six hours. Wow. And drink water. <laughs> Wow. Now that is the way to travel. It is. I mean, you know, being, being ginger, I have to like stay covered up with big floppy hats and I actually had to purchase some, you know, white shirts for the first time in my life. Um, but we do it every single Sunday, weather permitting, which it doesn't rain that much here. And, um, it's, it's amazing. I, we call it river church because you just come up feeling like, <laughs> enlightened and refreshed and definitely a day drunk. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, I'm, if I'm ever in Virginia, I'm trying that, that's for sure. Yeah, if you come play Maryland Death Fest sometime, I can give you the full tour. That's not too far from us. Well, from yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because Lord of the Lands is kind of like a, a fairly death metal and we were, the, we were the only band on the bill last year that wasn't death metal. Um, and... Um, it was kind of, yeah, it was just, it was really weird because we, we thought we were going to really, like, you know, have it all on to do because we were going to be up against just some very serious people. But, um, you know, they they really took us to heart. So uh, you never know. Fingers crossed. Maryland Death Fest. I'd be, I'd be up for that, that's for sure. Um, I mean, they have crash bands and stuff too. And, you know, death metal people drink beer and like extreme music. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, not so scary. Yeah, yeah, no. It's not, I, it's I, not I, Norway in 1993. So. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you saying I'm out of touch with the death metal scene? <laughs> no. no, no, I mean, there's no. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so when, uh, so what's, what's your kind of volume, what's your kind of workflow like now? Because presumably since you said, you know, you're really giving it a go and you're, um, you're pushing what you do. Are, are, are you having? To, is you know? Are you keeping it at a level where you can just manage it yourself, or are you getting other people involved to to help with, with productivity? I've had, um, I've had a full time assistant, or I'm on assistant number two now for about four years. I definitely have trouble handling it myself. Um, I pretty much have been working like twenty four seven for the last five years since I started this thing. It's I created a monster for sure. And I think the biggest challenge of like being an artist or a musician and making it your job to be an artist or musician is that being an artist type, you're sort of prone to like chaos and people that are good business people, I think are better at schedules and structure. And I have been trying to train myself to be a good businesswoman for the past five years. And I finally feel like I'm getting to the point where I can structure things that like deadlines make sense and I can take occasional nights and weekends. It's unrealistic as an entrepreneur to like work 40 hours, but you know, I like taking my Sunday tubing and uh, my boyfriend lives with me. So coming home in the evening is nice. Getting a, a separate studio space is really crucial for that. Cause I was like working out of my house for three or four years and you never put it down. It's just like the workload is unending. So it's like, you, work's never done. It's just when you're going to put it down. Well, that's the thing. Uh, that, that's the thing about working from home because you're always at work. You never, you're never at the office. You're always in the office. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's I think that's a real key to being self-employed is to be is is not just to manage the hours that you put in, but manage the hours that you that you take off as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, being a structured person is not my strong point. So having a place where I'm like, okay, from 12 to 8, I'm at this place. But I mean, if I'm in Germany or something, that's fine as long as I do my eight hours work a couple days a week (laughs) while I'm traveling. Then that works too. A lot of times when I'm over at festivals, I'm not, you know, sewing for eight hours a day, but I'm networking with new bands or just you know sometimes occasionally i watch a show and enjoy myself <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've i've seen you enjoy yourself so yeah, definitely, I definitely enjoy myself in Scotland. <laughs> yeah yeah ab- absolutely we were all busy enjoying ourselves um you know, the thing about that festival that i found funny was that they had like a 12 hour festival and there was nothing to eat like in the venue which i also had a problem with coming to bars in europe and the UK from America. Like, if you get free toasty in America, you can just, like, order a side of fries or a burger. Uh, I guess we're always eating. That's why we're so fat. But there was, like, no food in the venue. So I'm like, man, I'm getting, like, too drunk. <laughs> like, I need to eat. I need to eat something. I've been drinking beer for, like, 10 hours. And then I'm, I was just, like, munching everybody's Pringles and gummy snacks backstage. <laughs> but it's a, I, I know what you mean, but I kind of, I kind of also think there's an upside to that because a lot, a lot of festival food is horrible, especially over here, and it's just like rank, you know, box of chips or something. Whereas what you could do is just walk out the venue, walk down the road like two minutes, and have the choice of whatever you, whatever food you wanted. It's just that you had to wait before you could, uh, before you could eat it. And you've got, and you've got to pick your bands as well. You've got to pick the band you're really not bothered about and then, then head out during that band. Yeah, you've got to pick an hour to actually put down the festival and like get decent food and sustenance. But it's probably better than, you know, eating festival food and then being stuck on a tour bus or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, absolutely. I, I actually, I quite enjoyed it because I, it was like, you know, I was there from I was there from eleven o'clock in the morning um, till when we ended up leaving. I think it was about two or three, um, and so by about halfway through the day, and I'd had a couple of beers and and, and fancied some food, and I was like, I, I could actually use a time out. You know, I could actually yeah. use just some time off from um, and because there was nobody around at that point as well. There was no one. There was no one. Um, uh, backstage to chat to. I mean, I was hanging around waiting for the uh, waiting for the Dark Angel guys to turn up because I'd seen Gene and Mike the night before at my spoken word show. And um, but you know we hadn't had a chance to really catch up. We, I mean, they they'd had a few beers. I'd come off stage and had a few beers, you know. And uh, it was so it was kind of like right. It would be really good to catch up properly tomorrow. And of course, those guys didn't actually arrive till about six seven o'clock. Um, yeah, I kept. Trying to find my way over there to check back, but oh, a side note on that, it was really funny because we had arrived in Glasgow the night before, and Jean was like, "Oh, we're at the the Premier Inn. I'll just meet you at the hotel bar when we get done, you know, rehearsing or whatever." So we we see the Premier Inn sign. We're like, "Oh, we're there!" So we we show up at the me and my friend Lucy, who I call my travel wife. She's like a Swiss thrash metal musician. I, rem- and, um, I, I remember Lucy. I think I was introduced to Lucy. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. But, you know, then, then they get out of rehearsal and he's like, okay, we're at the bar. I'm like, so are we. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> and yeah. then we, we realized that there are like 10 premier inns in Glasgow. 
So then we were on the like Premierian pub crawl of, of Glasgow City until we found the correct <laughs> Premierian hotel bar. I know. It, it, that's the thing. That Premier Inns are just fucking ridiculous. They're everywhere. Um, it was kind of fun, though. I kind of want to make that my new UK tradition, like the Premierian pub crawl of whatever city I'm in. <laughs> well, there's, there's it, pre- Premier Inns are are basically the the standard um, accommodation for all bands when they're on tour in the UK, um, yeah. uh, and because you because you get those big comfy beds. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, sometimes there's even like aircon. Yeah, occasionally. The weird thing is that um, Premier Inn seem obsessed with the, with heating because um, I always I always wake up too hot. They they're just insane, and um, and I'd I'd steer clear of the breakfast as well. I'm I'm never up for breakfast. It's always a goal that just doesn't happen. All uh, right. Yeah, we've we've got to be up and away and, and on to the next uh, on to the next Premier Inn. Um, right. Yeah, it's that, but that, you know that's the way. Um, I'm the one reading down and like, uh, can we get late checkout? <laughs> as late as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw um, I saw a Machine Head of one of your one of your clients as well. Did you do the um, Did you do this the the white stuff that they're they're wearing at the moment? Yeah, they're some of my oldest and most loyal clients. I started making Rob's clothes. Uh, five or six years ago before this was even like a full-time business and they were the first entire band that I dressed and we've been working together ever since then Um, and for the new album yeah I came up with the white look Rob called me with that idea and we went for it and it looks really cool in the photos when they did the whole production of the big new set for the Catharsis World Tour, I feel like we had to make a black wardrobe for stage just because I'm wearing white and then the stage set was white. Everything with the lights ended up looking like they were painters or something, but <laughs> it looks so cool in the videos and the and the fo- and the promo photos. Yeah, I mean it, yeah. that 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 did work. Well. I, I thought it was quite brave as well because it's well, Catharsis is a, a, a the album's quite brave as well, um, and. To, to go with the to go with all of the um the the white stage gear when you know when they're such a fucking metal band um uh I thought that was an interesting look that they went for was it did it make it any more interesting to um to put together yeah like I always like when people uh, have me make things that aren't black which because everything's been black and when I have to do something that's a color not that white a color. But just a not black thing, it makes me push my design boundaries and I think it looks really striking because you're sort of expecting the clothing in that style to be a dark color. And um, I think it looked really unique, but it was funny, you know, trying to convince people uh, that usually wear black to stand up there in white. I know when I do that, I'm like, man, like I need to lose 10 pounds or something. You know, you're used to looking at yourself in a dark color and then you wear something light or bright and it's totally different like Dave the drummer from Machine Head is always the hardest to convince he kept having me add more and more black bits <laughs> yeah I it, it, it's it's not for everyone is it no but uh yeah I, I think it looks amazing in the videos and that's the kind of thing that I, I deal with a lot is um <laughs> when 
uh, your message just came up. I yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. So you have to balance like a tour deadline or a video shoot, you know, and then musicians don't necessarily always like, you know, schedule themselves two or three months in advance. Like sometimes Rob calls me a week or two in advance from when he needs something in a different country. And I've got to just sort of know what he wants, have everything together, like know how FedEx works, know how shipping to venues or hotels or whatever works and just make that happen. And then especially if they want changes or something, I've got to work that into. So that's when, all-nighters and chaos and everything ensues, but it's all part of being able to be a rock and roll seamstress or, like, band wardrobe person rather than I'm a quilter, you know? I, I, love, I, love, rock and, I love rock and roll seamstress. That, rock and that, roll that, seamstress. That sounds like a band. That really does. Well, it's cooler than the, like, Elton John tiny dancer, like, seamstress for the band. Well, I, pe- I, I, I pinged you a, a picture there in, uh, in Messenger. Um, oh, yeah. That, that is, um, that's what um, I wore on stage in Bloodstock, which is a, um, a pink suit. I'm throwing a pink top hat into the crowd. Um, I think he showed me that picture when we were in Glasgow. It's amazing and bold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. I've, I, honestly, I can't, believe I, bored, I can't believe I bored you with the pink suit before. Um, uh, it's not boring it's pink you know like how many you know usually like the only person wearing pink is like the wanker in the cow suit in the mosh pit or whatever <laughs> uh, yeah or, or, or somebody dress, somebody wearing a pink panther costume or something like that yeah or like unicorn onesie that they woke up in or you know <laughs> not like but if you do it with a suit it works like you can pretty much put any fabric or any ridiculous print into a suit yeah that yeah. thing, put it on stage and you look like a rock star you know well there's the, there's a there's a company called oppo suits um mm-hmm. and um and that's that's who that's who i got it from I, and i saw it months before the festival and just thought oh i know what i'm i know i ooh, i'm having that you know that's that's it yeah of course i kept it complete secret from the band <laughs> Oh great! I'm sure that went over <laughs> well. Well, I, 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 um, I, it's become a bit of a tradition now um, that they, they, they pretty much won't find out what what I've got planned until um, until we're on stage at the first gig, or we're in. So the... it's like Mister Rogers. Then, like, what color sweater is he going to put on? I don't know. If you didn't have Mister Rogers in the UK, did you? No, no. no. Last last tour was. Um, uh, satin, uh, black, white polka dot, female pajamas. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you know, it's got to be done, hasn't it? Really, I got some. I got some looks in the shop when I asked if I could try those on. It's a uh, rock, rock leisure wear, rock leisure. They have that ass leisure, which is like a fashion term, and then now it's a uh, rock leisure. You just invented something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I'm sure. So, what are you doing? What are you doing musically now? Because by the sounds of it, the the you know the the business, you know, you got to do what pays. Does that has that kind of pushed everything to one side? Everything else? Well, the nice like the nice thing about the business is I can do it from wherever. And in music, you have a lot of hurry up and wait time. So when I was touring with Guar, I had two suitcases in the bus bay of supplies and my sewing machine and I would just pull it out after we were done loading in and setting up the lights or whatever and sew for, you know, six or seven hours and then just find a post office. And so that works pretty well. Um, 
but I'm not in war anymore, and I'm looking for a new full-time touring band. I'm still looking for a band, but I haven't found the right fit. But I do have three or four projects going on right now. Um, I've got a local band called Fulton Ave, which is like a serial killer-themed death metal band, but uh, it's a project with a drummer, Jordan, who played in the band Bella Morte. It's like a goth band from Charlottesville, my town, that we toured with a lot, and he's an incredibly talented drummer. So um, I really like the way the music sounds, but it's been interesting singing gore lyrics as a female about, like, murdering hookers. So I decided, <laughs> well, this is, like, a, this is feminist because women can be anything, like, including a sexual sadist, which I don't think there's ever been, like, a sexual sadist female serial killer that maybe, like, you know, Elizabeth Bathory, but she didn't even kill the chicks herself. She probably had, like, handmaidens to do that. So, um, you know, it, it creeps people out when you take lyrics that, like, there's... The lyrics are actually written by a singer they had before me getting in the band, and there's this one song, and this would make the best, like, you know, circa 1991, like, Cradle of Filth t-shirt back, says, thoughts of your corpse make my dick hard, and, like, that's a terrible line, so I made it, thoughts of your corpse make my cunt drip, and, like, it gets instantly way creepier. (laughs) (laughs) We put it on the back of a T-shirt, like, for girls, and it, like, sold out immediately, and then, like, all the guys want to buy that shirt now, too. So, you know, I don't know. It's That price just for fun, because all of us have real jobs, but it's been really great, like, getting back in a van with a bunch of friends and, like, playing some shitty bar gig and, like, drinking beer and not caring how the gig, like, how many people showed up and what the sound scan numbers are and, like, High stress. Just yeah. What do, what do we What do we do on merch? Is usually the first question, and uh, once you're yeah. off stage, yeah. Yeah. Great. Did we pay for gas and we got free beer? Like that was fun. You know, it, it's helped me rediscover after being in some really serious bands for many years. It's helped me rediscover why I did all this shit in the first place. So I feel like everyone should do that. Like get back to your roots and just play in a band that's not serious. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I did stand up, um, uh, well, seriously, professionally for eight years and then uh, I just completely lost the love of it and quit. And then five years later, went back to it and, uh, and just absolutely loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, and I've, I've been at it ever since. And I think it's just, it's, it's perspective, isn't it? You know, if you anything can become a routine, no matter how much fun it might be to start with, anything can become a routine and and get yeah. a bit dull. And when you make it your job, you know, anything becomes work. I mean, I love yeah. doing this more than I would yeah. love, you know, sitting in front of a computer, like sorting spreadsheets or whatever, or programming, which I used to do. And I loved being in Guar, but at the end of the day, like you sort of made it a job and it becomes not like a hobby anymore so it's not an escape i take breaks from going to shows now because i do it for a living even though that's what i love doing and i'm just like okay this feels like work i don't want to go to another metal festival for like two months and i'll be ready but um you know i've i i keep myself making music because i feel like it's important to keep your skills up especially as a vocalist and to keep you know keep songwriting skills up. So I'm always making music at least once a week, if not more. I've got like a bunch of studio projects. Um, I usually do session vocals for my friends. So, 
my ex-boyfriend, Ben Ash from Carcass, he has a project that I've been doing some session vocals for. It's really cool. And um, I'm working on a new project, which is really exciting, but I don't want to release the name or anything with um, a guitarist friend of mine who is in Butch Walker's band. And that has some more like, clean rock vocals in it rather than death metal vocals. And um, then I have a developing old school death metal thing with my boyfriend, which is going to be themed about like Native American skinwalker legends. Yeah. And it's kind of an original subject matter for the genre. So I'm excited to like do a little bit of research lyrically on that. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're keeping incredibly busy with lots of different things, and I know exactly how that feels. Um, you know, I, I think I've I think I've definitely got um, uh, more than a bit of ADHD. Um, uh, and, You've got a multitude of projects as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it's it's just. It's got a, well, I've got the you know I've got the podcast, the band, stand up as me, stand up as Keith. Um, I'm a professional quiz master as well. Nice. <laughs> uh, so it, yeah, but it, but I it, it's great because it's you, you know it, if you get bored with one, you move on to the other. <laughs> you know, yeah. or rather, if you're just constantly juggling, it just keeps everything fresh. You go, oh right, okay. You know, it's like I've got a I've got a comedy show tomorrow night um, as my character Keith, um, and I haven't had one of those for uh, about three weeks so it's 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 kind of cool like oh yeah cool i've you know um i've i'm, I'm gonna do keith tomorrow night which actually sounds kind of weird when you say that out loud <laughs> you gotta you gotta snap back in you drink a bunch of yorkshire tea and like eat some greg's <laughs> do you know do you know what it's re- it's really weird i mean i'm you know i'm not an actor i'm a i'm a stand-up and i and i call you know keith is stand-up dressed up but the funny yeah. thing is, um, one and and you know this is kind of related to everything that you do. Once I put that, um, once I put the you know the the, the the flat cap on and the and the moustache and the glasses and I get all the clothes on, it's it's just kind of like I find myself just slightly hunching over and all of a sudden you know it's just kind of like there's Keith, you know he's in the room, um, and it, it's it's kind of weird because. It's just I don't know. It's it's and I I I teach a course about um, character stand up, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and I always say it's very much have a touchstone, have something that that you can do or something that you put on or have or wear or whatever that is exclusive to the character because it will help you over time. It just helps you just get into the character, just to you know be that person, as it were. Yeah, that's the power of costume, I think. And with the stage wear thing, it definitely relates. Because I've had bands like Creator, who are my friends, but also I've been fans of them since I was a kid. And for they had never worn, you know, like stage clothing before. They just wear black or whatever they're wearing. And they had me make a whole band wardrobe for them, which has lasted like four or five years. I've shot myself in the foot with that one. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't, don't be making one, you know? don't be making it that higher quality for goodness sake. I mean, it's really impressive actually that it's lasted that long. I'm like, okay, that's cool, you know. But um, you know, they said to me like, we finally feel like this band has sort of come come full circle into its own thing now that we have a stage look, you know, because they always had the production and the artwork of the set, but so many people just get on stage and they're 
jeans and t-shirt, but they put on their stage clothes and then it just helps them get in the stage character. And you just sort of see a Bjorn from Soilworks did the same thing. Like I put on my vest and it just helps me feel like a rock star. And I guess that's my goal is to make everybody, whether they're in a band or just a fan coming to a show, feel like a rock star. And that having the right jacket or the right pair of jeans that makes you feel like a million bucks is so important. Well, like whether you're in a full costume or, or a pair of pajamas or a pink suit, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> or a giant blood spewing pit latex monster costume like my alter ego. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how, how long were you in Guar for then? I was in Guar for only a year. Um, that was sort of short-lived, but unfortunately, I guess fortunately, I don't know, it's the thing that people know most about me now. Um, it's it's cool because Dave Brocky was one of my best friends, the odorous. Yeah. And he passed away, and he always was really supportive of my band, This Means You. And I was in another costume band before Guar called Kung Fu Dykes, and they're an amazing black light band that's been around since the 90s, thrashy sounding stuff. And he loved that band, so it felt sort of like the last gift that he gave me to be asked to be in Guar and to have my legacy sort of like pay tribute to him was an amazing experience. And also to, to have a name for myself that people recognize, like in terms of, you know, respecting you backstage and stuff. If you can just say that you were in a band that someone heard of, you get like the level of respect that people address you with. I mean, it's fake, obviously, but it is nice to yeah. have that where you can just, yeah. You know, instead of saying, oh, who are you to fuck or whatever, like... Yeah. Well, as you. Well, as as you as you preface this whole thing about saying about you know about being being backstage, you know, as a woman, and uh, but like you say, when you when you can, when you can, you know, just reel that out and say, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I used to be in Guar. All of a sudden, it is kind of like it's parity, isn't it? It's like oh, a fellow artist. Yeah, it's like oh, I've been the same person. You know, and lots of the bands I've dressed have known me for many years, like much before I was in Guar and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's incredible how much more seriously people take me now that I've been involved with something that they just know the name of. Not that I could name any Guar songs or not that they ever saw me perform on stage. But, you know, that's that's a gift. I feel like if you ever get given a name for something that, like, people know. But it also can be a curse because you never live that name down. Like, I could, like, dress you know, Iron Maiden, and people would still be like, oh, she got, she was that, like, chick from Guar with the blood student tits, like, <laughs> <laughs> chick from Guar dresses Iron Maiden, you know, it's like, how about, how about just Kim? <laughs> but, well, well, fun, well, funnily enough, I'll, I'll mention it to, uh, I'll mention it to Bruce next time I see him. <laughs> you should, I would actually have been meaning to, uh, try to get in touch with him about his stage gear for a while because I would love to come up with some new designs for him. Yeah, well, funnily enough, when, um, uh, because I I know, know, yeah, I remember you posting when I, when I posted that I'd, uh, uh, you know, spent uh, an hour and a half getting pissed with him and, um, uh, and I remember your, your comment and, um, funnily enough, whilst I was talking to him, um, we were talking, I hate you by the way for that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's it's an it's good because the first experience I had with him about three months ago was far from good. So oh, no. yeah, must have just got him on a bad day. But um, everybody uh, has their bad days. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, apparently, um, uh, it's his it's it, it's his local pub, and uh, and apparently he's, he doesn't he, he doesn't like being approached in his local pub. But in this case, it was I was talking to some people about, funnily enough, about Leeds United, and uh, one of the locals is a fellow Leeds fan, and we were talking about Leeds, and then we started talking about the World Cup, and then all of a sudden this guy sort of joins the conversation, and it took me about ten seconds to think, all oh, right, it's Bruce. Um, but yeah, so we ended up. Uh, human Bruce, then. Not yeah, yeah. Bruce. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we had, um, so we, yeah, we had a good, we had a good few beers, and um, uh, and yeah, ended up talking, I, 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 talking about costume for the latest tour, actually. Um, really. Yeah. Um, and. Um, you're like, yeah, I happen to know a chick. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, do you know what? I, do, I'm, I don't want to reveal too much on the podcast because, um, you know, conversation was private. Um, right. but, but once the, once we finish recording, I'll, 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 I'll tell you about it. Excellent. <laughs> um, but, um, I think I've, I think I've got one of your cards as well. Oh dear me. I tell you what, I, that's, that's commission there. I should be able to retire on my finder's fee for that one. Right. It was funny. Actually the biggest bands that I dress, like never want to pay money. Yeah. You know, they usually get everything for free, like just on exposure bucks or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. Um, people think it's, but I mean, I, I have a policy. Like, I don't give anybody anything for free, but I don't charge very much either because I know how much touring musicians make, and it's not a lot anymore. I mean, Iron Maiden obviously makes more, but I'm not going to charge them more just because that, you know. But yeah. like, you know, Alice Cooper like paid me money and like sent me a thank you note. Uh, that's... <laughs> that was like a Wayne's World moment. <laughs> Wow, that's fucking awesome. Alice fucking Cooper, the king of costume fucking rock. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Well, like, uh, my friend Nita plays guitar for them, and uh, she's a total shredder and absolutely amazing. So I've been sort of hanging out in their camp, and he had actually, when, when I was in Guar, he had actually interviewed me for his radio show, which I was so nervous. I'm like, how, I, I have to be funny. Like, so I had to sit there and, like, come up with jokes to make Alice Cooper laugh for like an hour while I was waiting for the phone to ring. Never been so nervous, but we, um, he's super cool. And so is everybody in their camp, really nice people. And they had just been using these like Halloween store dresses for like the nurses and things for years. So it's like, how about I make you like a real, a real thing for that? And they're like, Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so I made them new nurses dress and I'm doing a new, costume for the new tour in August and they like Cheryl and Alice wrote me the sweetest note ever as like a thank you and how awesome the costume made them feel and like you know it's really great that you can see people that are actual rock stars act like caring humans and treat you like individuals with respect as opposed to a bunch of like up and coming bands like the dude that I had to choke out who want to throw their name around, like, don't you know who I am? I can treat women like garbage, you know, or like, don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That could, that, but that, that, could, that could backfire that whole, you know, don't you know who I am bullshit. It's just, it, yeah, it, it's just, it's just something that no one should ever do. Ego is um, not a good look on anyone. <laughs> and when the, the ones who should have an ego don't, it, uh, yeah, it that, makes Absolutely. So have you, I don't know why, I don't know why, but I really want to ask you about, have you ever made anything for King Diamond? Yeah, I did the whole Abigail tour wardrobe. Actually, 
that was definitely my favorite band wardrobe that I've made because I'm a huge King Diamond fan. And then uh, my friend Jody is grandma in King Diamond. She's from Philly. Right. I'm a Philly girl. And um, I had mentioned to her, like, hey, the guys are just kind of wearing, like, some, you know, Hot Topic jackets. Like, I would really love to create a stage look, so pass it along. <laughs> and she did, and they called me or emailed me, I don't remember, and I ended up flying out to their rehearsals for the Abigail tour in Texas and, like, doing the whole fitting for the band wardrobe and then just seeing that show come together with, you know, I've been listening to Abigail for years, and in my mind I have the way the band looks playing that album in my head and to be able to have the opportunity to make that a reality, that makes, like, all the crazy hours that I have to put in worth it to be a part of something that I care so much about and to be able to shape part of that band in a, in I, an interesting way. I know, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. I remember, I remember, um, I remember getting Abigail when it came out and just being blown away and just playing it on a loop all the time. I had it in my Walkman everywhere, everywhere I walked, I had, you know, King Diamond, Abigail in my Walkman. Um, and it, it, and obviously it's, you know, it's a, it, it's essentially a movie, you know, it's, it's a different movie yeah. in everyone's heads when you're listening to it, but it's a movie. So I can fully appreciate how it must've felt to make your version of that movie come to life. Yeah, it was incredible. That's, that's just fucking awesome. And I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated because from a business aspect, um, when it's something like that, do you have to, do you kind of sort of have to kind of agree a budget before? Cause I, it's just like, there's all. I charge everyone the same amount, actually. Like that's part of my philosophy. I guess maybe I'm like a punk rock person. So I have these like punk rock ethics. Like I charge exactly what it cost me to do this for a living. So, you know, jackets are like $350, no matter who you are. <laughs> And I don't think that's an unreasonable price for what I make. And it, it's not a lot of profit margin for me, but it's, it's what I need, you know. It's like this Swedish word they have for, like, exactly enough. Like, that's, what I, that's my philosophy. I'm not going to exploit people because they have more money, and I'm not going to, you know, give people things for free because they're famous. So... Yeah, but that's really cool. And also, I think that that whole, um, I mean, bands get this all the time. And, and it's its the same in the comedy world where people are like, you know, oh, come and do our gig. It'll be good exposure for you. You know, we can, we can, you know, give you some free beer and food. And it's like, it's going to cost us money to do the gig. And what exposure are we going to get? You know, a fucking reviewing the Slough Express or something. It's just, it's, it's utterly bullshit. It's just a way of people framing that they're not going to pay you. You know? Yeah, I, I had that issue with this. I mean, it was just a Facebook comment thing, but he's in like a death metal band. People know the band, but they're not, you know, super famous or whatever. And he wanted me to make stuff. He first of all simultaneously accused me of being the gap and then needing to work for exposure. I'm like, if I'm already some big corporate entity, then why would I need your exposure from a, you know, extreme metal band? Then he's like, well, nightly stage exposure's got to be worth something. Arch Enemy and King Diamond and Alice Cooper and all that, you charge them, good on you. And I'm like, yeah, I charge them. Like, it's not like you get the guitar tech gig for Slayer and then you just take that as a, like, pat on the back. Like, they pay you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a job. 
that's a, that's also that's also ridiculous as well because he was making your argument for you. The fact that people way famous, way more famous than him, were paying you people who could give you way more exposure. So if anyone's gonna get it for free, it would be them. So it, that's I, fucking insane. Oh yeah. yeah, like he finally got the got the point when I was like, first of all, it doesn't buy buy me anything for you to wear my stuff on stage if no one knows who made it. And it's not like I brand my logo across a real big like Affliction or Star or something I think is tacky. Then, even if you do post about me on social media, it's metal. The only thing I'm getting is 10,000 comments from Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I, do you, I, 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 I do like your inbox fail of the day, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I kind of wish that I could make those public, but I don't want to, you know, yeah. be bad for business. I don't want to actually shame it. But I mean, a lot of people do that. I, when I was single, I had tried internet dating for a while, and I used to post like the "Okay, Cupid fails day" the like crazy messages I got. It was just a way of dealing with the insane messages I got that I would like respond and try to see the like how ridiculous the responses would get, and then entertain all of my friends with it. And uh, I mean. Working in the music industry, you have lots of people that want things for free and try to make themselves seem famous. And in the age of the internet, you can't really do that. So, um, you know, everything from bands with 200 likes on Facebook trying to convince me that I should do a whole stage wardrobe for free to native English speakers that are completely illiterate, people not being able to understand what my name is. To people sending me like a picture of a cartoon and wanting me to make a giant cosplay armor thing for like a hundred bucks, you know, and then I just say like, well, this this email is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's entertain my friends and make themselves feel better about. Oh no, I, I I love them, and I I, I rec- you know I, I recognise the the idiocy of, of a lot of that as well. It's like every time I get a message to uh, the Acid Rain page, it says, "Where can I get any Acid Rain merchandise?" And it's like, "Wow, well, first of all, just Google Acid Rain merchandise. That'll take you to a page. Or alternatively, you've messaged the Facebook page. How about you click the fucking shop button on the Facebook yeah. page?" But no, and I I find that a lot. It was like people people don't even want to. It's almost like putting something into a search engine is too much. It's like no, no, no. You tell me, you know, you tell me. Yeah. I, I, and I just I, does my fucking head in. How do people not understand how to use an online store? You know, it's like I put the, the listing. Like you have to. It says the price right there. You click the word buy, and it walks you through putting in your payment. And then, you know, I guess it is a little. Con- confusing because it's basically like my listings are like a collage be like it costs 350 dollars to make a jacket similar to one of these and then i have these like bullet points like step one place the order and pay for it step two i will email you a measuring chart and some stuff like step three wait you know (laughs) yeah 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 step four it'll get delivered step five take it out of the packaging step six try it all on but make sure you've taken the clothes you're wearing off first Right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, the most step-by-step. Yeah, I have had garments that people, like, couldn't figure out how to put on before. (laughs) Fucking hell. Well, well, presumably all the holes are in the right place. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I think that was more with some of my, like, stage armor stuff, which I only do occasionally, but... Oh, stage armor? Get on Skype. Let me show you how that's supposed to go. That's brilliant. Stage armor. You've been making armor as well. 
Yeah, so um, I did some stage armor for Power Glove. They're a video game metal band. Right, that's uh, interesting. Sort of, you know, like Wasteland Warrior looking uh, Mad Max shoulder pad gauntlet things for various black metal bands. Yeah. Uh, that, that that well that again that's it, that must have been slightly interesting to uh, to do something a little bit more offbeat. I like it when I mix when when you know people mix up the request. It gets it gets a little bit old making the same style of thing over and over again. I find myself getting in like design ruts, so it helps to put it down and do something different. But we've been doing so many pro wrestlers. I started dressing a bunch of the guys in WWE, and they're really famous and have lots of fans. So lots of indie pro wrestlers and wrestling fans ask me for ridiculous spandex creations now. And that's been fun to put down the leather and denim and like learn a different material and get things like giant donuts printed into Lycra. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I I mean, is that also, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in um, the kind of, the kind of customer that comes to you from um, from wrestling, I would I would imagine is obviously very different that comes to you from metal, or maybe not. Is there a big difference? There's a there's a huge overlap with metal and wrestling for sure, but I can definitely tell by the email of the type of person that's emailing me, sort of as like an indie wrestler versus like someone in a band. There's just different trappings to the way that they interact. Also, the the real big pro wrestlers, they have this thing where they just cold call you. For me, you know, I'm sort of phone phobic, you know, like we did, it'd be like, what time is good to talk? Okay, let's message. Is now good? No, wait five minutes. Okay, let's call now, you know? <laughs> and then you answer and it's, it's not awkward, but pro wrestlers like Chris Jericho just like cold called me, you know, like you see this number that you don't know calling you. So I send it to voicemail because I'm not answering that, you know? And then you just hung up on, you know, a big deal. <laughs> Obviously, I called him back, but it's just weird. <laughs> started answering random numbers now. Don't look like spammy numbers. Yeah, because you never know when it might be the next Chris Jericho. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of get that as well. Um, it's uh, that's bizarre that you've. I, I mean, you, you must network like in, totally insanely. That festivals are great for that. So if you go to like a festival where my friends are playing, I can hang out backstage and just sort of like, you know, you have an immense amount of hurry up and wait time. So you just talk to whoever's sitting next to you. And then I, you know, I do the same at wrestling shows. I'll go to wrestling shows and obviously there's a lot of hurry up and wait time there too. So just sit in catering and tell people you make clothes or wear your own clothes. They ask you about your jacket and it's something that people want. And needs so it sells itself. I don't have to sit there and you know hustle my like Avon makeup because <laughs> people are just asking me about it. So do you um uh, where do you see this where do you see this going? I mean, do you see do you, you know is is it a case of it gets bigger and bigger and you you know you employ people to 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 uh, you know make the stuff and you know you 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 turn it into a, a bigger business and a bigger 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 business or you know where where do you see it ending up? Well, I want to keep the same ethics about it, and I definitely want to have a hand in all of the custom designs, but that end of the process um, is only so scalable, right? I mean, I have a sewing assistant now. I've probably add a few more sewing assistants, um, have a few pieces that I use a lot, like manufactured, 
But the next step, I want to get like a ready-to-wear line manufactured by real garment factories and distributed to like high-end rock boutiques that we could set up at events and things. And I actually have stuff in stock, so it's not like, oh, please wait two or three months and I'll make this for you. It's like, okay, I can actually overnight this to Germany or wherever. And so um, I'm collaborating with a guy that um, lives in the town over from me. Ironically, it's weird because in Virginia, it's not like a huge fashion epicenter, but this guy runs brands called Eyewear and Verilus, and they make high-end leather jackets and kilts for sort of like gothy, ren fairy type of people. And he already has factories that manufacture that stuff. So we're sort of doing a trade of services. I'm going to be doing like design samples for him. And he's going to add like five pieces of mine into his like manufacturing orders. So I'll have like a ready to wear store soon. And hopefully that'll allow some growth. Eventually I'd like to like open a branch in the UK or Europe somewhere so that, you know, I can serve all those people from without paying international shipping and also like go there more often. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be awesome. And, and, and like you say as well, uh, setting up shops at festivals, which is absolutely the thing isn't it i guess i guess it's the thing about that is is again is having is having um stuff that's ready to wear but also i'd imagine that the the price point you've got to kind of be really careful of at a festival as well haven't you because you know people aren't going to be going to going to spend 350 dollars on a jacket not that it would be that much if it was you know a, a, a manufactured one but you know it's it's not the kind of thing that you that you have in mind when you go to a festival is it Right, so that's the problem. People are like, oh, do you have a booth? I'm like, first of all, I hate sitting, I hate watching merch because you have to sit there for just 12 hours. And for me, it's worthwhile to like see my friends backstage and network and take pictures of our bands wearing things on big stages. And, but, um, you know, when we do events, people don't have $200 cash, you know, I to, to, to have an impulse buy. Or they see the jacket and they're like, do you have this, but with this patch in a different size? So it, it's good for the, getting the name of the brand out there. And in the past, I do collaborations with some festivals like Maryland Death Fest. Each year we make 10 Maryland Death Vests. And they're like $150 or $200. And they're at the merch booth and people buy them, you know. But it's, it, it's definitely slower sales than like T-shirts or hoodies. And it's a very small quantity, so I just make them myself. And it's a fun collaboration, but... Until I had some things, you know, lots more things manufactured myself, it wouldn't be worthwhile for me to, like, set up the Killer Customer Rockwear booth at, you know, Bloodstock. So. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, speaking of which, are you coming over for, for Bloodstock? I am. Are you going to be there? I think I remember. I, I remember having this conversation with you, actually. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. It, it, it depends on a few things, um, uh, which, again, I'm... Um, I'm not going to mention um, uh, on the podcast, but I'll uh, yeah, I'll um, I'll tell you about. It. In fact, why don't we have that conversation now? Um, we're just coming up to just over an hour, so um, sure. I, I don't want to complete. I, I, I mean, you could have probably made a jacket in the time we've been speaking. So um, you know, I know time is money, but um, Kim, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you as well. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I really did, really enjoyed doing it. Um, uh, I mean, Kim is so busy, and wow, that list of names um, of people she's worked with is amazing. And also, 
the thing about her business and her ethics that's the word i'm looking for um you know charging everybody the same price and uh, and you know 350 dollars for a custom made one of a kind jacket that just seems really reasonable to me um and um yeah i may well have to get on the case come acid rain's new album i might have to get some stage gear made hey uh, something suitably ridiculous, obviously, um, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of getting away from that, um, dressing like a clown for uh, uh, for a while, um, and just getting out there and let the music speak for itself. But hey, it's not all about me. Although it is my podcast, so it is kind of all about me. Um, so what else have we got? Uh, unfortunately, the news that Heavy Scotland. The festival that uh, that ran last year um, in Edinburgh and was going to run again this year um, is not going to go ahead. Um, They tried reducing ticket price, just not selling uh, the tickets. They can't make it financially viable. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't say I'm too surprised. I know a number of people in Glasgow... Um, not even promoters, just, you know, people who go to a lot of gigs and have, uh, and, and, you know, regular gig goers and all of my Scottish friends, including those living not far outside of Edinburgh, all said the same thing, which was just, you know, wrong city, wrong venue. Um, and that, you know, there's, there was no way that it could, it, it could sustain itself and it just hasn't happened. Um, and it's a shame because whenever a festival goes to the wall, it is a shame. Scotland's also lost the wildfire festival as well. Um, so it, yeah, it, it is a shame. Um, but also, you know, use it or lose it folks. Um, you know, if, if, if you, you know, if, if, if you want to go, go and, and get your tickets early. I know I've said this before and I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who's in a band, but this does make a lot of difference. Get your tickets when you see something's advertised. Don't leave it later and later and later. Buy the tickets. That way you're committed to going. That way you will go. Buy those tickets and go. And the earlier you buy them, the less pressure it puts on the festival, the more they know it's, you know, they know it's going to go ahead and they can put more promotion behind it and get even more people there because that's what we all want. We want things to be successful. And, um, you know, but clearly it just wasn't hitting the mark. I think last year um, they did, uh, last year's Heavy Scotland also was not that well attended. That's, I I mean, I... That's kind of from a few people that went said, yeah, it was okay, but, you know, it's a massive venue and there there was probably more people there than they thought. But, you know, it didn't look like many in that venue. Um, So, you know, look, what what I'm saying is it's it's a shame whenever whenever a festival or anything like that goes to the wall, it is always a shame. Um, uh, Next up. So System of a Down uh, members uh, have admitted it's uh, it's all their fault. It's they're all to blame for the lack of a new album come out coming out. And to be fair, we pretty much guessed that, didn't we? We knew, we knew that um, it was not. It, it wasn't just one member. I mean, you know, some of them said like, "Oh, maybe it's Surge," and they had to really talk him into doing the uh, the uh, the last two albums. Um, and uh, well, you know, so basically, I would say if you're a System of a Down fan. It doesn't look like you're going to get a new album anytime soon, you know. And this this isn't a tool thing. This is a you know where where it's just they've not been able to get round to it. It's definitely a that people do not want to do it within the band, i.e., Surge and whatever, man. You know, just you're just going to have to accept they're a tribute band. They are the best System of a Down tribute band out there, and um, we're just going to have to make do with that.
So, um, what's up next? This brilliant bit of clickbait on um, uh, on Blabbermouth. How would a successful artist manager handle As I Lay Dying's comeback after Tim Lambesis's release from prison? Remember last time I was going on about Tim Lambesis? Quick, uh, uh, a quick catch up. Tim Lambesis, um, uh, lead vocalist of Christian metal band As I Lay Dying. Well, were they Christian metal or was it just he just a Christian? But there was a lot of Christian going on. Um, he was. Um, uh, uh, entrapped by an FBI uh, an FBI agent trying to he- um, hire a kid. Uh, uh, oh, I'm making such a fucking mess of this. Take your fucking teeth out, Howard, you cunt. He was found guilty of trying to hire a hitman to kill his ex-wife, the mother of his two children. Or his wife. I think it was his wife at the time. Um, uh, and thus went to prison, came out, the rest of the band went off and did Woven War, did that for a few years, and then all of a sudden a new As I Lay Dying song came out, out of nowhere, no promo, no no um, uh, press release or anything, just came out and did it, and then they played a couple of gigs. So, um, wow, that was a long, long old catch-up, wasn't it? Um, and the headline, I, I bet you've even forgotten the headline now, the headline was, how would a successful artist manage... Uh, uh, um, a successful artist manager handle As I Lay Dying's comeback after Tim Lambesis' release from prison. Fuck me, you must be really glad I got managed to get that out. You must be really annoyed, because I'm annoyed with myself for the gibbering in that section there. Sorry, folks. I'll do better from here on. Here we go. So, Ozzy Osbourne bassist Rob Blasco Nicholson, who is also a successful artist manager, was asked during a recent appearance on another podcast, not going to give him uh, any publicity, uh, how he would have handled, from a band manager perspective, as I, lay dying's, uh, as I Lay Dying's comeback after the band's lead vocalist, Tim Lambies, has served two years in prison for soliciting, uh, soliciting, the, soliciting the murder of his wife. Fuck off, Howard, you can't! I'm sorry, people. I am going to do better. Here's his answer. Look, to answer that question completely, on the level and honestly, I wouldn't have been in that situation just because I would have had to distance myself from it. My values aren't aligned with that. And no matter how much you have, uh, um, how much you have a sake of forgiveness for somebody, at the end of the day, this is business and my business values don't align with that situation. So... To answer the question, to answer the clickbait, how would a successful artist manager handle As I Lay Dying's comeback after Tim Lambesis' release from prison? Answer, they wouldn't. Fucking clickbait. Don't you fucking hate it? Hey, don't you fucking hate it? I really... And the thing is, there will be... It's just fucking annoying, isn't it? It's just really fucking annoying. Read the first paragraph and go, oh, right, so that's the story. Move on with my life. No need to pay that any more attention than was necessary. It's just, but it's just fucking the oh the nerve the nerve. I mean, I could do all sorts of clickbaity fucking uh, intros for these podcasts and stuff like that. When says somebody somebody says something interesting, or let's face it, I could just list me slagging people off, um, and you know that might get some clickbait. But I don't. I don't bother. I really because I'm not going to play that game. It's fucking stupid absolutely stupid and while I'm at it I've posted on Facebook today on my comedy account about I keep you know once in a while I do get quite regularly um friends requests from young um very attractive women now my character Keith Platt is a grumpy old Yorkshireman looks like an old bastard you know duck duck go image him okay go and have a look you'll see what he looks like right 
So straight away, if I get a friend request from a really attractive girl, I think, hang on, go to their profile. It's clearly a fake profile. But what I see there is like 18, 20, 25 um, mutual friends from comedians. And it's like, guys, you're not doing your fucking due diligence here. It's a fake account. There is no, but do not accept friend requests from clear fake accounts because they are there purely to try and gather data on you. They are there purely for corrupt purposes, whether it's fucking advertising, uh, one-on-one webcamming, or whether it's purely there to try and siphon off some of your data and find out more about you because the minute you become friends, more of your stuff becomes available for you to do so they can build a profile of who you are through what you like. Or Yeah, if you think all of that stuff is just innocent, it's not, okay? It's data farming. And these fucking idiot fucking comedians just go, oh, yeah, I'll be a friend. Why not? You fucking idiots. I mean, it's, it's got to be one of three reasons. Either one, they're trying to boost their Facebook um, uh, friends list to make it look like they're more popular than they are for comedic purposes. All right. For comedy purposes, for bookers and things like that. OK. The same way bands try and get likes. OK. Or secondly, they think she's a fan. Yeah. Or thirdly, they think she fancies them. It's pathetic. It really, really is. I guarantee. I guarantee if a fake account from some ugly old bloke friends them and they've never seen them, I bet they do the fucking, I bet they do the due diligence on that. And I bet they see the fact that it's quite clear, quite clearly a fake account and they don't add them as a friend. Or maybe they do. Maybe I'm talking bullshit. I am not a fucking clue. Certain amounts of what I'm saying are bullshit with that. That is guaranteed. Regular listeners or listeners for the first time will have already figured out there's quite a lot of bullshit going on on this fucking podcast. Quite a lot. Nay, bollocast. Thanks, Pete Gray, for the name. Sorry I didn't name check you earlier about that, but there you go. And another thing. I'm going to go there. I've got to say it. Trump and the would and wouldn't. Even his apology. Even his apology. I mean, I thought this was obvious. I thought it was obvious, but apparently I need to clarify it. It's like even his apology is trying to blame everyone else for the fact that he said what he said. And clearly, if you look at all of what he said... You can't change the whole tone of what he said by one word. The whole tone of what he said was that he agreed with Putin and that it wasn't Russia. And and, and then he starts, as with all answers, within 30 seconds, Clinton or Obama come up for some fucking reason. There's only so many times you can keep throwing the same people under the bus when you keep fucking up. When I said uh, would, what I meant to say was wouldn't. I mean, my, the dog ate my homework, etc., etc. Fucking pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And if he did do that, if you're a supporter of Trump, if he did do that, surely you've then got to see that he's just fucking humiliated you on a world stage. He got nervous next to a real world leader who he clearly fancies because he helped get him in office in the first place. And another thing, people who call the investigation into Trump a witch hunt, no, the witch hunt into Clinton, no charges brought. The witch hunt into her husband Clinton, no charges brought. The witch hunt into Donald Trump has so far revealed three guilty pleas and two people are in are currently in jail awaiting sentence. That is five guilties so far. That's not a witch hunt, that's a hunt! Sorry, okay, I'm sorry. But for me, Trump goes beyond politics and becomes something way more fucking scary, 
Okay, yes, he is an absolute godsend to us comedians around the world. And people keep saying, oh, hey, as a comedian, hey, I bet he's a bit of a gift. Not really, no. He's the gift you do not want to keep on giving. Hey, that fucking furry-headed fucking hamster on a hind legs dick fuck. What's the fucking point of him? Apparently, it is. It, it, I'm, I'm, he's trying to make friends with Russia. Well, of course you are when you when they help you get in. I mean, who the fuck wants to be friends with Vladimir Putin, who is quite clearly intent on killing all of his political rivals? And I mean killing. And there is evidence for this. I mean, they staged. I, look, I'm no, I'm, I'm going off on a policy. That's that's enough. Really. It's not what you tune in for, is it? Tune in. Hey, managed to get that in there. Come on, let's get back to the metal, shall? we um next up is a conversation that um, i've had in the can for a while with my very good friend mark day i say very good friend we haven't spoken in 20 years hey that's what you get when when i'm one of your friends um uh he is now um a burning man video creator um i will um have links up to what he does you'll be able to see all about it um mark was was a um was a metal hammer journalist in the thick of it a, a big friend of acid rain interviewed Tom Warrior uh, and asked him why Acid Rain were thrown off their UK tour before it started. It was supposed to be it was supposed to be Celtic Frost Destruction Acid Rain and then we got canned. Um, I think we talk about this, to be honest, it is a few months since we did the interview, but um, Mark is a fascinating guy. He knows how to tell a story and, um, you know, he was in there in the thick of it in the 80s and the 90s. So here is my interview from a couple of months ago with my good friend, Mark Day. Hello, sir. Good morning. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Good God, it's weird hearing your voice after all these years. It's, it can, like totally takes me back. Well, there you go. The funny thing is, I've heard your voice more recently, of course. Ah. Because I've, uh, I've been in the car, I've heard the podcast. It's like having a, a one-way conversation where all I'm doing is yelling at you know, the dashboard of the car, how wrong you are about Axl Rose. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, uh, yeah, I, I've heard you more recently, but I still sound like this. Yeah, I know, because you've been in the States for quite a while now. I know, I've been living here, I think, most of my adult, I mean, not most of my life, but most of my adult life, and I can't decide. I, I think I'm both the most Scottish person that a lot of people here have met. Like, when I meet people, they're like, you're super duper Scottish. And then I'm like, I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure if I went back to Scotland, people would be like, you are very Californian. So I am uh, trapped in some space where I'm a bit of one and a bit of the other. Yeah, well, it's it, it, funnily enough, it's a familiar feeling um, uh, because down here, down here, I'm still a, I'm still a pie-eating northerner and then I go up north and I'm a fucking cockney. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I actually went to Scotland earlier this year and it was bizarre. I was like, everybody is so Scottish. <laughs> well, you, you were in Scotland. I know, but it's, it, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what that means. But I felt, I was like, wow, this is like very high level, high concentration of Scottishness all around. Well, of course, when you, you know, when you live there, you, you don't notice these things, do you? And then, but then when you, when you experience something else and you come back, it's a complete culture shock. Yeah, well, I think also that my notion, much like much like um, my understanding of all things heavy metal, my notion of what it is to be 
in Scotland or even just the UK is kind of frozen in aspic. I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, I, I go back and forth a lot less than I used to. So, in fact, that was the first time in about eight years. So, just as my... It took me a while to realize that my favorite new rock band, Wolf Mother, actually was a new rock band like 12 years ago. <laughs> um, there are things that have happened in the UK that have completely passed me by. So, Right. Well, I, you, you haven't missed much, mate. I don't know. It was all going fine until we got a new president, and, that, and it's been pretty much at this point. It is like, you can joke about oh, if this happens, I'm moving to Canada. And then you're like, I know someone who's Canadian who's, probably, who's not seriously talking about moving back yet, but at least they have that possibility. Yes, yeah, I have a, I have a friend um, who lives in, um, in uh, Connecticut and they're very much kind of like, I've, I've actually got options here because they've got like three passports and it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? There, there may come a day. Fingers crossed, not, but we'll see. Has it has so have have things changed for you? Um, you know, with 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 a new president, um, have you seen a noticeable difference? Um, well, to be perfectly honest, um, at the risk of sounding very Californian, I think my life is awash in what might be called white privilege. So. I think it directly impacts me a lot less. Yeah. Um, but I'm also uh, a parent. I have kids. And if your kids' um, only concept of what it is to be the president is like Barack Obama and he's this very urbane, well-spoken, um, able to, you know, express himself in the right way in the right situation and then you have to explain Donald Trump to them that's a weird one yeah um, I've had to do all of the things I have American relatives I've had to mute people on Facebook um, and then when you know your kids are like so some people voted for Donald Trump and you're like this is going to be a really hard one to explain I'll yeah. get back to you on that when you're older so uh, you know it's it's kind of weird and surreal. Um, it certainly, it kind of, it, it, it's fun to get away from it and not think about it. And then occasionally you circle back around to it and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is a real thing that's actually happened. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, you still there? I think I lost you for a I'm short while. I was pausing for a large glass of water. I got myself all caffeinated up for this. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe you need caffeinating up. Um, it's funnily enough. Um, I, I mentioned to. Um, I mentioned. I think it was to Adam that I was going to be talking to you, and uh, and and he re- he reminded me that um, I think you actually you actually came on the road twice with Acid Rain. You came on the road to I... Ireland, and you. I'm sorry. I sorry to. Uh, the Netherlands for our little our little uh, trip to Amsterdam, but you also came on part of the obnoxious tour as well. I, I remember being in Ireland. I remember um, seeing um, this would have been you know militarized Ireland. I remember seeing like whatever like Land Rovers with troops who may have who looked 
not any older than anybody else, yeah. um, not any older than members of the band at that point. So, so yeah, I, re- I remember uh, not much else. It's all very vague. It's all a very long time ago. Do you remember? Um, do you remember coming to our Hippodrome show? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> I think because to uh, to link it all somehow to heavy metal, um, I you know when I when it, my you know few years of working in the quote unquote heavy metal industry, um, primarily at the, in what could have only been described as one of the more I don't want to say the worst incarnation of Metal Hammer because I, I don't have all the other ones to, to measure it against, but one of the more eccentric ones, I think Metal Hammer were the the magazine at the time, which is a, a different beast to what I guess Metal Hammer went on to become and, and is today and all that, had um, some kind of marketing relationship with the Hippodrome. So, uh, and, and for... Is this on air yet? Is any of this... This is all going out, <laughs> is mate. This... this is all going out, yeah. You know me, I start recording straight away. I know, I, I kind of... I, I've got my backup plan. If I just if I just say I really need to go to the bathroom now, it means one of two things. I have consumed a lot of caffeine and I really go to the bathroom. And or I'm just like, no, this has to be edited out. Um, <laughs> so for context... For context, um, the Hippodrome... Uh, was may still be, I presume it can still be, but uh, was a London nightclub. Um, yeah. in, I don't know if it was literally in Leicester Square in London, but yeah. it was certainly in. No, the it is. London. It's right next to Leicester, Leicester, Leicester Square Tube Station, and is now a casino. Right, um, and it would have been, you know, a proper getting dressed up, going out, um, yeah. nightclub type thing. And for a while, um, there was a rock club there on, I think it was a Wednesday night. Something like um, that. Something like that. And, you know, there would have been a, a series of bands playing there, a lot of which would have been, I think, um, the, the UK's best attempt at emulating the US hair metal scene of the time. Um, I'm not naming names because that would be rude, but you know, a lot of kind of like you know, Axel Rose bandanas and uh, yeah, that kind of stuff, and acid rain, <laughs> yeah, for some reason. Isn't, does, isn't there a I'm sure I've seen a video of that somewhere, yeah, they, 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 the whole show is on YouTube broken into two parts, excellent. Well. I don't, well, you'd be better off watching that than having me describe it because I remember very little. Other than, I guess the Hippodrome was kind of a, a, it had a balcony and it was quite tall. So, um, yeah, I can, I can remember more about the physical space of the place than I can remember whether it was a storming concert or not. I'm sure it was storming. Right. I was, I was trying to, um, I was trying to allude to your, uh, uh, <laughs> I was trying to allude to, do you remember what happened um, after the show in our dressing room? Um, am I going to need to take a bathroom break right now? <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I won't. I won't go into that story then. Yes, yes. best not to. <laughs> Remember, I, I I have to drive a carpool full of kids to gymnastics later this afternoon, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll draw a discreet curtain past uh, any rock and roll behaviour of the past. 
Yeah, I might. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll let you get away with that, seeing as how you have responsibilities now. Um, I love it. So have you remembered what it was that you said to Fish in your interview that offended him so much then? I have no idea, but, I, you know, it's kind of funny having listened to some episodes of the podcast. And, and you know, again, for context, you know, I, I worked for metal hammer for a number of years and then for a relatively short-lived um and perhaps deservedly so magazine called rock power and fish postmodernly and would have been um my you know one of my beats one of the, the things i covered and i just remember uh, interviewing him once up in edinburgh um at his uh, home studio at the time and whatever i must have said he literally said how dare you and I wouldn't say I shat my pants, but it's one of the only times I thought, I'm in real trouble. Um, the other time being, often a tangent, um, one's getting very... And this is one of my few rock and roll anecdotes that I think maybe hold up. Um, I remember interviewing Glenn Danzig after... When, when Danzig were supporting Metallica on the... I guess what would have been the Unjustice for All tour, um, and sitting in Glenn Danzig's dressing room or some anteroom at the end. And I think this would have been one of these times where, like, you know, Metallica had dragged out a, a non-thrash metal opening act to distance themselves from, you know, the tier of bands that were all kind of slightly below them. Um, so I, I can't remember how well or not well... Um, Danzig went across. Um, I think at that point they existed mostly as a t-shirt that had been worn by Lars in a lot of photo shoots. Um, and I remember sitting there drinking all their beer as I would have done at the time because there was time to kill. And uh, I think Glenn blowing off a bunch of fanzine interviews, um, you know, the tour manager coming in and going, you want to talk to these people? And having been a fanzine writer myself, not that long before, I mean, maybe about a year or so before, I think I asked Glenn Danzig when the interview finally started, had he always been such a cunt? Um, <laughs> and then having to do a lot of backtracking where I think you can get away with being Scottish and going, you know, I mean, I'm from Scotland, well, you know, cunt kind of a, an affectionate sort of, you know, he's a bit of a cunt, that kind of thing, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, one of those moments where you just kind of get a little peek behind the curtain and you could, you know, I, you know, that was one of the other times I could think of um, that uh, I was kind of in the presence of somebody who was not particularly happy with me. But I somehow, I think, got away with it. Do you, um, do you remember, speaking of getting away with it, do you remember when we, were, we played uh, with that band Endor in uh, Rotterdam and... Um, uh, their their lead guitarist and singer was a black dude, and he was really, really he was well, it was sort of like I don't know, kind of like almost Mexican looking, and on the back of his hand he had a swastika tattoo. <laughs> I, no, to be honest, no. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got pictorial evidence. You were definitely there, right? I, I do have um, clear memories of. Acid Rain showing up to the Milkweg, Milky Way, whatever club in Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, the having to go on after the band Loop, 
Yes. We were a sort of churning, shoegazing, psychedelic um, indie rock band. So all of the uh, typical tourist attractions of uh, Amsterdam kind of getting missed out on because of a very late start date. Start date. Um, and then the next day consuming way too many space cookies or whatever <laughs> and spending what, spending whatever um, the date after Amsterdam would have been pretty much comatose in the tour van. And the next thing I knew, we had been through Belgium and were back on a ferry going back to the UK. Yes. Um, that's, a, that's a principle, Mary, but I mean, that's one of the things I remember. Um, <laughs> But I was going to say just to connect all the um, the dots of middle age to my my metal past. I was, um, I mean, I live in the I live in the East Bay. I live in the giant air quotes Bay Area of where thrash metal comes from. Yeah, and I was what you know. Um, most of my consumption of music these days basically just comes through things that YouTube thinks I might be interested in. Um, so when I, I did go to see a show last week and that was why, you know, I, I said, I, sh- I should check in with Howard because he had to hear me blather on a great length about Judas Priest. Yes. Um, but in the same breads, I was, uh, I, and at the time when I went to see Judas Priest and they came, there was a moment where I, I, I just thought to myself, this is just like being like being at a show when you haven't been at a show a long for a long time is a lot like watching a show that somebody has filmed on their phone from the floor of a club or a, a venue only louder. It's like it's like watching an audience film thing only louder. And then I remember that's because you are the audience at this point and you're not just that. I, that's maybe I'm maybe getting a bit too meta here. I'm very interested in things that are that exist within things that get exist within things. But we'll get back to that. My point was, <laughs> uh, I, I was watching James Hetfield talk about he has this new guitar and it's called Carl because it's made from the uh, it's made from wood that was salvaged from the Metallica garage on Carlson Avenue, um, and you know I guess they're talking a lot about their you know back in the day and, and some of these interviews. And I'm like, oh, right, Carlson Avenue. I drive up and down there all the time. I drive past the the Metallica, the house where the Metallica garage was all the time. Usually I'm driving up and down there with a minivan full of kids going somewhere. Sometimes I go up Carlson Avenue because there's a health food store around the corner that has a nice tamale. That's it. But, um, so my closest heavy metal thing these days is my constant driving up and down past apparently a garage, a garage, <laughs> Let's get that correct. There is a difference, or there's not. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, my garage days or my garage days these days are mostly to do with driving past an address that Metallica used to rehearse at, and I must say, it's pretty suburban. It's not like the ghetto. It's not. I don't know that they've <laughs> ever suggested it was, but you know. Well, I also, also, more... there's no telling. There's no telling what that area was like back then. Um, I guess yeah, there is that. that that's true. But anyway, I'll, I'll have to send you... The next time I'm past, I'll try, if I remember, I'll get out and send you a picture. Oh, please do. That'd be awesome. I'll uh, I'll, I'll tweet it out um, uh, for the podcast as well. Um, so what did you think to Priest then? Because it, it must have been so weird seeing uh, seeing Judas Priest with Andy Sneap on guitar. It was, I, it was so many things. 
I mean, this is the thing. Is like I kind of, I really disconnect. This is a very. I walk to get closer to the answer. I have to walk further away. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, go for it. I, well, the thing is, is like I really kind of disconnected myself from the whole world of heavy metal many, many years ago. Or uh, you know, my interest in it really, really kind of narrowed, and I, I went from having sort of a a reasonably encyclopedic knowledge of all things rock to really not paying any, any attention, then you circle back around to it and things have happened that I had, I would never in a million years have predicted that like symphonic metal would become a thing. Um, yeah. I've tried to get into Norwegian death metal and it does nothing for me. Um, as somebody who used to write about bands, I can get quite interested in things on a kind of like an intellectual level and it's, sometimes it's easier to think about them than it is to listen to it. And Norwegian death metal seems interesting to read about, but when you actually listen to it, it's just pants. Yeah. Um, and I tend to say to people, I've kind of boiled it down to, if you only have time to see one heavy metal band a year, you should make it Judas Priest. Right. That's it. They are, as far as I'm concerned, the definitive expression of all things heavy metal. Um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and they were like, well, the Iron Maiden. And I was like, no, I would take Priest over Maiden. Um, with Maiden, there is always the possibility that this might be one of their tours where they're insisting on playing most or all of their new album. That's not why I'm there. I'm there for straight-up nostalgia. I want things to be as I remember them. Um, and... You know, I don't want them to embarrass themselves, but I mostly want to hear the old songs. So I was really looking forward to it. I was enjoying the anticipation. Um, and then I got there, and it was it was interesting at all sorts of levels. First off, they have Saxon opening for them. Yes, uh, yeah. Which, which, God bless them, they're still going. Um, I, they, they seem to have kind of like, survived the era when I think the British metal press was a little obsessed with being kind of trendy and Saxon were never trendy, but they, 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 they clearly survived all of that. Um, but they kind of work on a song-by-song basis. I think when you see Saxon, it's like either the songs are good or they're not. They don't have that kind of like... For me, they don't have the, just a, a Saxon sound that will carry the less interesting stuff. I've, I've never... Um, to be fair, I've never been... I've never been a Saxon fan and I've never been a Judas Priest fan, so I'm kind of... You know, I don't have... I don't have any skin in this fight. <laughs> well, this is the... Fun, I, I, I think Saxon were kind of a band I got into when I was first really interested in heavy metal and then I got a little bit more into stuff and then you... And probably... I was probably a little bit like, oh, Saxon are a bit naff. I'm going to distance myself from that. Um... But I think Unleashed in the East was, you know, one of the one of the early albums I had. So then, yes, to get back to the point, you go and see them. It was awesome. Andy Sneak looks like he's really enjoying himself, which is great. Um, you know, uh, at the same time, when you're talking to people about it, you go to work the next day, and you're, you know, I was talking to someone, I might see Judas Priest last night. So I was like, oh, I saw them, like, 20 years ago, and you're like, yeah, I know, I know. I have not grown out of it. <laughs> I've, I, I've grown out of a lot of it, but definitely not that. Um, and then shorthand for how time has passed is, of course, I, I end up saying to people, well, they're ancient, or at least half the band is. It's that kind of thing now where, you know, it's a few ancient people and a few people half their age, including Andy. Um, 
And then, you know, Glenn Tipton only does the last three songs because he's like in his 70s and has Parkinson's disease. Um, yeah. And I've said that to a couple of people in a way, almost as a kind of joking shorthand for just how time has passed and just how much of a nostalgia trip it is. But it's also, it's a little bit sobering. Um, you know, the onus would be on me to find newer bands that I can get that excited about, but I feel that moment has passed. To be honest, I really I want the nostalgia, which is why um, I really enjoy customer service Guns N' Roses these days because they offer excellent customer service. Um, <laughs> and you know, I'm very much all in on Rob Halford. Rob Halford is my, um, you know, I enjoy him on so many levels. Um, I think the, you know, the twinkle that in his eye that he brings to it by being sort of gay pantomime, Rob Halford only adds to it. Whereas the other members of Priest are, you know, they're just whoever they are. They don't really have public personas. If you were to listen, if you were to read any interview with Judas Priest transcribed, you'd be hard pressed to say that it wasn't just generated by a, a random text generating machine. That's all, you know, we're doing it for the fans of heavy metal because they're the heavy metal maniacs who we love being heavy metal maniacs. And the touring is for the maniacs who are all heavy metal. It's all about the fans who are heavy metal. Yeah, and you know, even Rob is kind of like that in most of the interviews. But there's something going on there, I think, behind that. Glenn Tipton, I have, you know, he's just the, the guitarist in Judas Priest. So I thought, you know, and then I found it like kind of surprisingly kind of moving when he kind of came out and did the last three songs, and Rob Halford came up behind him at one point between the songs and gave him a hug, and it felt they felt very much like human beings, which you know, I think as a band was never really their thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, it is sobering is the word, you know, hearing that, you know, a guitarist coming on doing three three songs because he's in his 70s and got Parkinson's. I think it it is, you know, it, the same way it's sobering that, you know, we lost Ronnie James Dio and, you know, we, 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 we've lost some, you know, I mean, younger, iconic heavy metalers right. due to, you know, um, their own, you know, either suicide or whatever. But it's 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 when you start losing people like Lemmy and 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 Dio through natural causes, as it were. Not that cancer is natural causes, but you know what I mean. That's when you start thinking, right? Fucking hell, the the the, the scene is changing. You know, it's like the it's the changing of the guard. Um, and will you know? Will anyone care if the singer from Avenged Sevenfold dies of old age? Probably not. Well, it's hard for me to tell because, as I say, I really didn't pay attention to whoever came next. Um, to, you know, but it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's and it's funny. I was talking, you know, I was again because, like, you know, as somebody who kind of spent my time in music doing a lot of thinking about it and writing about it, um, I found myself on online reading, uh, you know, something, you know on the Judas Priest subreddit on Reddit, you know, with some kids who are like, you know, should they hang it up now that it's not all the, you know, the main original members? And I think my conclusion is when it's your favourite band, you give them a pass. Yeah. Other people's favourite bands, if it's just, you know, one or two people. I mean, or a rebooted band, or a rebooted band. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of, You know, I think the configuration of bands is, uh, you know... If you if it brings you joy, you should enjoy it. Um, 
I, you know, there are bands that I've just checked out on, uh, you know, when you just go on YouTube and you see who is touring with who, and sometimes you're like, Ugh. I must admit, I, and I have a fairly broad, um, a fairly broad taste in some stuff, and also just, I'm fairly forgiving for what people are doing, and again, this is, this may, this may be before your time and or interest, but the only person I've seen in a while that I just was like, oh, please stop, was... Rich, what Richie Blackmore is doing today uh, with Rainbow yeah. is, if people were like, I wish he would drop the Hey Nonny Nonny music on the head, I think people might be ready at this point to backtrack that into, you know what, if he wants to dress up like a garden gnome and play a lute, that is fine. Yes. But please, either play Stargazer properly or don't play at all. Or at least get a beast of a drummer into your band and some other people to fill in the gaps that you can't fill in yourself. So, yeah. Well, I don't know. If they were playing and it was convenient for me to go and see them, uh, I might go and see them. The irony is that I went from absolutely shitting my pants over how excited I was to see Judas Priest and how it just took me back to being like, you know, 16 years old in my bedroom with a tape of Unleashed in the East. After the tour ends, or just before it ends, they just announced the second leg of the tour where they're co-headlining with Deep Purple. They're playing outdoor arenas and they're playing in the Bay Area on like the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is... And I went from like, oh my God, I had so much fun and do this piece. I should do this more often, to in the space of five days, like, I don't know if I could be bothered driving all the way to Shoreline and dealing with the parking and dealing with the traffic and... Ugh. So call me a favorite. So you're not you're not a Deep Purple fan then. Well, the, the irony is um, when I again I look back on the bands that I'm interested in now, and it seems to have evolved. I was Deep Purple were a, a band I really liked when I was. Ian Gillen was my thing, and I could I was thinking about this earlier. Somehow, if I can loop it back to Acid Rain, and I can, um, <laughs> I think like. As much as I loved Judas Priest, I think there was a time where like, the, Gil, the band Gillen was like my favourite band. And looking back on it now, it, that's a band that's lost to the mists of time. Yeah, absolutely. Are, absolutely, yeah. There are, there are people who would basically be like, oh, God, if David Coverdale could only just put a blues band together and do the old White Snake thing for a tour. I, I, I don't think anybody is even remembers that the, the, the Gillen band was a thing, but I think one of the things what, what I remember as a kid seeing them on top of the pops, when you you know you would get the occasional rock band on top of the pops, and yeah. they had this kind of like weird, they had a weird look to them. Judas Priest were like, you know, the head-to-toe heavy metal. Iron Maiden were sort of like, we've seen what Judas Priest are wearing and we're adding more spandex. But Gillen had like, John McCoy was like wearing weird overalls and then... You know, Colin Towns, the piano player, was like this jazz guy with a tie. And, you know, Bernie Tormey, these are names no one will know, but like Bernie Tormey, the kind of the weird, the electric gypsy on guitar. And they had that weird kind of five oddballs who didn't give a fuck and hadn't all met in the dressing room to agree to dress the same. Yeah, I can see where you're going with the link with Acid Rain then. <laughs> well, the funny thing, I mean, the old, you know, I'm generally not a fan of quirkiness in music in certain areas. Yeah. Um, I could, you know, I could never get into Frank Zappa, and I think in part, uh, maybe I was not ready for the music, but also the kind of self-conscious quirkiness. But I think that there is a, 
when I'm thinking back to Gillen and just the, you know, if anybody is still listening to this, we should explain that Ian Gillen is the singer of Deep Purple and once had his own solo band that was strangely popular for a number of years in the early 1980s and has since disappeared off the face of the air. Uh, <laughs> I think but yeah, that, that kind of like, Sorry, go ahead. I'm I'm monopolizing here. No, no. I, no, I was I, I was gonna I was gonna say that um, I think plenty of people remember the Gillen band. I think there'll be people listening to this going, "Fucking hell, yeah, Gillen, the Gillen band. Yeah, they were all right. They were pretty cool. You know, um, the 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 average age of a listener to this podcast is um, uh, is older than your average uh, uh, music listener. So um, yeah, I think people will be very interested in uh, uh, in your observations. Now, I have some um, I have some things that I remember, um, uh, various bits and pieces um, of Mark Day trivia from uh, from our from our times together back in the uh, in the late eighties and early nineties. Do you remember us? Uh, do you remember me bumping into you as you were moving house in a in a tube station? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I, you you had you had. I you had your entire, you had your entire um, life in a bag, and you were, and, and I was like, "Oh, all right, Mark." And you were like, "All right," and you were moving, you were moving flats. Um, I also remember seeing you at numerous Tiger Tales gigs, but also, well, yeah. uh, I, I have still got a promo copy of Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors that you gave me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I know, I know. I was looking at it only the other day, and I saw it. Said I saw it had like the promotional sticker on the back, and I thought, "Fucking hell!" In fact, you know what? I remember when it was. I was listening to the album uh, in in the, in the warm up to interviewing him, and um, and I saw that it had a promotional sticker on it. I thought, "Fucking hell!" Mark gave me this years and years and years ago, and here I am about to, you know, interview the the man himself. Um, it was it was a, it was a real kind of odd feeling, um, and I also remember that you got me you got me uh, into the um, the launch party for Rock Sound, and um, oh, sorry for Raw Power, and um, and um, and and I met I spent most of the night talking to Steve Rothery, um, and um, and Hogarth was with him as well, and I just basically completely ignored him and just wanted to talk about fish to Steve Rothery all night. Excellent. Um, the, the I don't think I I, I remember Marillion. I was a big fish fan. I don't. I never saw them live with fish, and I don't know why because I'm of an age where they would have played like the Mayfair in, in Glasgow and stuff like that, and I, I I don't know why I never got to see them live. I saw him tour his solo band a lot, like when, when he was signed to Polydor, and uh, I, as I, I, I think I said, you know, it was like, when I went back to Scotland, I literally had a little bit of time with myself a couple of months ago, and I was like, okay, I've got one afternoon, I'm going to go to Edinburgh, if I go to Edinburgh, what do I want to listen to? How can I download Misplaced Childhood onto my phone? So, <laughs> that's, my, that's my jam. Oh, that's um, awesome. But the funny thing about, like, if you had bumped into me um, when I was carrying all of my stuff from one point in London to the other, yeah. um, just for context and just because it was a memory that I that may or may not explain anything to anybody who remembers um, Metal Hammer, the magazine that was. That was a weird one. And I, when I left, when I, when I moved to uh, America years and years and years ago, 
only to, and, and you know, Metal Hammer had always never, it had never quite, seen, it never had quite the same buzz to it that Kerrang did. And then I, years later, I'd be like, oh, apparently Metal Hammer's the one that sells lots of copies now, and Kerrang sort of went the other direction. That, that, that seemed uh, a surprise to me, although it was different publishers. Um, well, yeah, but also, if you've, got to, you've got to remember, Metal Hammer was monthly, so Kerrang was always right. up to the minute, because it was weekly. So Metal Hammer always had to try and, you know, was always fighting against that. And I think for, for the listeners, for the, for, for the benefit of the listeners, I can time exactly... For, uh, for as a consumer of the magazine, I can time it um, for everybody. The era that you were working there was the era where it was still being printed in Germany. So it was right. still. You, so basically, what happened was it was you still got it every month, and it was just full of spectacular spelling mistakes. Right. Um, and and like you know and 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 fucking English to German translations that just didn't really work. Right. Um, so that was the, this is the, that was what I was going to say is that like I came to Metal Hammer um, when I was at college I had access to a photocopier in the student union because I was involved I was the entertainment officer at our student union um, never booked any metal bands but none I booked the Proclaimers once um, <laughs> we were... how, how far how far did they have to come. Not well. They were in Edinburgh. You know, they lived in Edinburgh. I, I went to college in Edinburgh. All oh, right, they so were... they didn't have to come ten thousand miles. Then sorry, now it. it, it <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was. It was. Yeah, it, that's terrible. It's a classic. It, no, they are. That is a song. Well, particularly, it's kind of like I, I. I have too many tangents. We can't go on tangents. I know. I know. We can't go back to being student uh, head of entertainment student union. So I had always kind of been interested in like having a fanzine or something. Um, and I, I started one because I could photocopy it for free when there was no one else around. And it was like a really weird mishmash of stuff because in part it was just like writing about whatever you could get free records about. Um, so it was a lot easier to get like, you know, music for nations to send you some, like an album by like Holy Terror or, or some, you know, a bunch of kind of like third tier Bay Area thrash bands than it was to get, you know, CBS to send you a bunch of like Aerosmith records. Yeah. So I think some of the stuff I was writing about, and my knowledge of it wasn't that deep, but I was just interested in writing about stuff and making stuff. And it, my finding at the time, and I just remember this earlier, was literally, it was called Slumber Party Massacre. Why I Don't Know, that was a song by a band, The Stupids. Yeah. Who I remember trying i i don't know if i was into them or i was trying to convince myself i was into them well i've meant they've, I've they've got a mention them. on they've got a mention on the podcast a few times recently the stupids and um they were they're a very cool punk band yeah and but i think also i was uh, there's another tangent i could explain why but i think i in, in retrospect I, I realized i was always a little bit influenced by aesthetics and the stupid certainly had an aesthetic to them you know they had that kind of like you know, we're an American hardcore punk band, but from Bristol and quirky with bright colours and funny hats and stuff. Um, at least that's how I remember them. So I had this fanzine and I'd, I'd sent it off to, to try and, you know, see if I could get big magazines to let me write record reviews. Um, and I ended up doing some just live reviews for Metal Hammer. Um, and this was at a time when... 
metal hammers, you know, for context, it was a German magazine that the German publisher had started publishing international editions of. And I guess he had poached away a bunch of staff from Kerrang, people like Malcolm Dome yeah. and... Uh, Chris Welsh? Uh, no, I don't know. I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, well, I right. like Malcolm Dome and Dante Benuto and people like that had all gone to um, Metal Hammer. And I think like one of the existing staff there had been Dave Ling and a couple of other people. And I think all the people from uh, Kerrang! who had presumably been told that whether they had been told they would get paid more money or they had just been told they would be able to create the editorial freedom to create this American magazine, this great magazine. Clearly it didn't happen. And they all kind of left en masse. They all literally, you know, about more than half of the, the, the staff quit at once. And I just wandered into a job there. Now, in right. retrospect, I realized that I got the job in part because they were, they just needed it, you know, they had a magazine that they needed to get out and they, they didn't have that many options. It was, it was surprisingly easy to go from having written a fanzine to suddenly having a full-time job, but it was fun. And it was, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it was a fun experience. Um, but it was a German publisher and I liken it a little bit to after I worked in video games for a couple of years uh, after working um, in music and certainly there were video game I used to work in PR and video games and there were there was like the top tier would have been like you know future publishing who would produce these magazines where getting um, a good review of your game was uh, you know was based on how good your game was and then there would be sort of second tier video game magazines where like if the gaming video game review scoring system is like if you're scoring out of 100 a score of less than 96 is considered a bad score so, oh, yeah. you know, and it's a little bit like I kind of, it took a while to realize and not to shatter anyone's illusions here, but, you know, Metal Hammer was full of fairly uncritical coverage of bands on Roadrunner and Noise Records. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were, they were friends of the show as it were. They were friends of the, of the magazine. Yeah. And I think when, uh, you know, it's funny, a lot, of the, a lot of bands, you know, as I said, you know, earlier, I, I would never have seen, like, things like symphonic metal and power metal kind of becoming big in the UK. Um, but a lot of those, the earlier, like, power metal bands were getting written about by the Dutch edition or the German edition of Metal Hammer. Yeah. And then what, what you would have is, like, you know, bands being interviewed in English by European journalists who would then write the article up in Dutch or German, it would then be retranslated back into English, by which point any kind of nuance or interesting point of view probably had been hammered out of it. Metal yeah. hammered out of it, literally. Hey! And, hey! <laughs> and that was about 50% of the magazine. And we got, you know, there was a small yeah. office and we got to fill out we would kind of get to fill the other half of the magazine with whatever we kind of wanted. But a lot of the, the coverage was kind of dictated by um, the German publishers. So well, uh, I know, um, I know, it, I know you had pretty much a free hand because um, I wrote two fucking album reviews. <laughs> Excellent. 
Yeah, I did. Um, I did the first Realm album, the one with um, with the cover version of uh, Ellen Rigby on, and I did a review of uh, Extreme Aggression by Creator as well. Again, band, you know, there were certainly bands in Metal Hammer who had just as much legitimate reason to be there as anyone else, and all of those kind of German waves of bands like, you know, Sodom and Destruction or whatever were always guaranteed plenty of page coverage in Metal Hammer. Yeah. But there was also a kind of like, Metal Hammer, stop trying to make Bonfire happen. They're not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of, you know... Gravedigger and people like that. Right, uh, what tanker? A German band who write about nothing but drinking. It was like, you know, that kind of German domestic touring scene where I guess you have a band like Halloween who are like, we'll be like Iron Maiden, only we'll have pumpkins, and you know, generally have the same kind of flair. Um, I guess that translated internationally, but there were a lot of you know their own domestic touring circuit that never really got anywhere. Um, other than the pages of Metal Hammer. So, so yeah, I probably was carrying, to bring it all back, I was probably carrying all of my stuff from point A to point B because one day I was sitting in Edinburgh writing, um, going to see Alice Cooper at the Edinburgh Playhouse and filing a review. And the next day talking to someone on the phone who was like, well, do you want to come down and write here? And being like, yeah. So I, pro- I probably showed up in London with, you know, a suitcase full of clothes and very little else. Um, Chris Welsh um, was the editor. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I think he came after. And the thing, the funny thing for me about Chris Welsh is uh, he's a lovely man. He is a lovely man who occasionally I haven't looked. At, I haven't watched a VH1 behind the music in a long time. But you know, because years have passed since this thing, years and years and years have passed. But Chris. Uh, occasionally, you would be, I would be flicking past VH1 behind the music, and there's Chris talking about Led Zeppelin, or there he is talking about some legendary rock band. And Chris Welsh had his vintage was, you know, he was like a writer from the era, like you know, the giant bands of the 70s. He would cover them all for Melody Maker, and I think Chris Welsh's thing was he was probably part of the inner circle of all of these bands because. He could probably be trusted to write about the music and not about the the hammer of the gods. Tell me, Chris, did you ever see anybody fishing for groupies off the side of a pier? Um, And I often say to people, I'll be like, you know, number of times that we ever sat in that office. um, I think Chris was the only grown-up in the office. He was the closest to a grown-up in the office. And I got myself into trouble a couple of times for writing snarky things about bands who were on Roadrunner Records or whatever and I think I didn't realise at the time how much Chris was covering my back the German publisher Jürgen Biggenhaus was kind of like well we've just lost a whole bunch of staff We, I guess we're stuck with who we have but the the guy who keeps writing snarky things about Roadrunner make him stop um, <laughs> and the number of times that uh, we ever sat down with Chris and went, Chris, you must have seen Jimi Hendrix playing at, you know, the, some club in London with, you know, you know, the bass player from the Animals who ended up as Jimmy's manager or whatever. Or yeah. Chris, you must have seen Led Zeppelin when they were before they pushed their put their 
first album out. The number of times we sat down and talked to Chris about stuff like that, zero, not once. <laughs> the number of times, I, I, you know, I, in retrospect, had no idea, really, you know, I had no appreciation, you know, I was a daft, uh, just a, a college kid whose head was full of writing about, you know, hair metal bands and, and, and stuff like that. Um, the number of times it was just like, Chris, I want to write about Guns N' Roses or like, you know, squabbling about who got to review or interview the, the latest, you know, Striper album is a bad example. But, you know, <laughs> that was the level of discourse. That was the level of the discourse. I, I worked with Chris Welsh for a number of years. I'm sure he has incredible, incredible, you should get him on the podcast. He has incredible stories about all of the, the real legends. Um, yeah. Not the 80s, not the eighties hair metal legends that, for the most part, don't hold up. Other than Guns N' Roses, despite what you think, <laughs> um, I just, you know, had no appreciation of it. I had very little appreciation at the time. But there you go. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Well, as somebody want, as somebody famously once said, exactly that. Yeah. That yeah. Poison, that poison song. But I tell you what, you did, um, you did, you did us, you did, you did us. Well, me personally, a few favors, like I said, with the reviews and stuff. But you did us as a band, um, uh, you know, quite a few favors. Hence, like you know, Metal Hammer features on you coming, you know, you coming to uh, Holland with us, which, which was awesome, you know, and that, and that was never going to happen in Kerrang. Um, and I also remember um, you, you did some some nice reviews for us as well. Uh, although I think he, at that point. Um, uh, you, uh, yeah, towards the end of our career, you weren't doing as much because everybody at the magazine knew that we were mates. But um, uh, I also remember when we were announced as third on the bill to Celtic Frost and Destruction on the um, Cold Lake tour, and it was all set to go and it was all announced, and Tom Warrior had us booted off the bill before the tour had even started. And we were all fucking gutted. And you had a chance to interview him. And you asked the question, you know, you on on our behalf, which I always thought was really fucking cool. Um, and and that was the only way that I ever found out why we why we weren't on the tour was because you asked him a question. You asked him the question in the interview. Oh wow! And, and why were you kicked off the tour? Right? Yeah, yeah. You can't remember. You did the interview, right? Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, what happened was. Um, he basically said, well, look, you know, we're trying to do something different with Cold Lake. Yes, i.e. shit. Um, and uh, he said, look, you know, we're trying to t- change the perception. We've already got one thrash band on, Destruction. We didn't want another thrash band on as well because of the change in music style. But it uh, it came back to bite him in the arse because when they went off stage at Liverpool Royal Court, as they were stood side stage waiting for, waiting for the crowd to cheer for an encore, apparently the crowd started chanting Acid Rain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I he'll hopefully never hear this, so I think I can tell this story. But I, I was, I was in Scotland. Uh, one of the things I had to do earlier this year was kind of head over to my dad's house um, and maybe try and ad- address some of his hoarding issues. Ah, right. Uh, you know, I, I, I think having talked to people about this a little bit. Um, you discover when you talk to people, you might not be the only person who has an older parent who has a house full of stuff yes. that they clearly are um, unwilling to part with. Yeah. And I went over, because I was only there for a couple of days, I really couldn't make much of a dent in it. But in an attempt to kind of get the point across that, you know, you could get 
rid of some of this stuff. I was in my dad's garage and I opened the cupboard and it was full of old heavy metal magazines that I had written stuff in. And I found stuff like, you know, signed Saxon concert programs and Gillen concert programs, all that kind of stuff. The concert program in itself. What a weird piece of uh, merch that was looking back on it. But, oh, it's, um, it's come back full circle. You can get you can get programs quite a lot now. I would, I wouldn't know because I don't get out much. No. But I literally bundled a bunch of stuff into the car and drove down to the dump with them. And I was like, and there was part of me that was like, oh man, I'm basically, I would love to sit down and reread all those articles and see what my opinions were and things. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I was like, I'm literally just trying to get the point across that you can just not be overly attached to stuff. And I threw a bunch of old metal hammers in a skit. Oh. Hang on. It was part of me, like the old nostalgia part of me that really would have been happily sat down that afternoon and just, you know, just interesting to see what I was into and what my opinions were on, on certain things back then. So, but you, but like you say, you can't, you can't, you can't go back and uh, and uh, to your dad's and address his hoarding issue by saying, "Oh no, you can't throw these away." Exactly. Well, that was it. But I, I did end up picking something up, and there was part of me going like, "And I can see, I, you know, I certainly, um, I, I, I can see certain ways why it's, it's kind of fun to hang on to things from your past. That's that's why I'm probably not rushing out to see." Avenged, you know, Avenged yeah. April. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not up on the names. Um, <laughs> I watched, uh, you know, because my interests go a little bit beyond heavy metal. I sat and watched the YouTube live stream of Coachella a couple of weekends ago, and there was not barely a band I recognised. Um, I, I quite enjoyed David Byrne from the Talking Heads. Uh, Stop making sense was a big college album, and I was at college, and I his set and I saw Beyonce which was incredible she did an incredible show she, she, is the, she, she had a Dave Lee Ross level of presentation but most of the time I'm sitting there going I, I, I sh- why do I think I should know the names of all these bands I'm way past that point but there's this tiny part of you that likes to believe that you're still up with what the kids like yes. and then you realise that you have to stop as I said as I started by saying you have to, you know, there's no point saying Wolf Mother's your favourite new band when they came out 12 years ago yeah, yeah, uh, that, that, that's not going to work. Um, well, look, Mark, um, uh, I just want to—I I, want to have a chat with you um, on um, uh, on my uh, for my Patreon subscribers as well. So, can um, can we uh, can we just pause it there? Sure. Hang on a sec. And there you go. That was my chat with Mark Day. Um, oh, again, a bit. And there you go. I'm not going to reference who that sounds like. Those who know, know. And it's a no. I won't be doing that anymore. Um, so, yes, that was, um, that was a really, really cool chat. To catch up with Mark after all these years was um, was just great fun. Um, he hasn't sent me um, a, a picture yet outside the... Um, uh, the house where slash garage where Metallica used to live and record and rehearse and record um, in San Francisco. So if you're listening, uh, if you're listening, Mark, um, I'm still waiting for that picture. 
Um, and I will post um, links. He's, he sent me some links and stuff to uh, to everything that he, he's involved with, uh, which is mainly on YouTube and the Burning Man stuff, which is just an absolute head trip. Um, I really do suggest you check it out. That's some just fucking crazy shit. And there's something quite just beautifully American about uh, Burning Man as well, about, you know, building all of these things and these intricate things and then just fucking torching them <laughs> in, in the middle of the desert. Um, I just think that is really cool. Um, you know, uh, whereas Brits, what do we do? Chase cheese down a hill. Um, yeah, that's a thing. Look it up. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, anyway, it was, it was really good to catch up with him. And, uh, I hope you all, uh, enjoyed listening to that as well. And, um, and now it is, it, I am coming to an end. This is, uh, coming to an end bit rolling down now, just kind of taking you slowly and gently out of the podcast. I mean, I'll probably mention the uh, the Patreon stuff again, uh, patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith, £3.80 a month, come on, $5. Um, and uh, you get to ask questions of all your favourite people who come on the podcast. Um, I have got a, um, a very cool, very big interview planned for, it's actually taking place, if it takes place, it will be taking place tomorrow. I'm very excited about it. Um, uh, it will, it would be the biggest interview I've done so far. I'm not going to say any more on that because you know what I'm like, I don't want to jinx it. And, you know, things do not happen. Yeah. They do actually fall apart. Um, uh, but also coming up in August, you are going to get a two-parter, a two-parter, um, which is the, um, Slayer Retirement Special. Um, which is coming up. That is with Joel McIver, Slayer biographer, DX Ferris, Slayer biographer, Andrew O'Neill, heavy metal comedian and a huge authority on Slayer, and also writer of heavy, the Heavy Metal History book, which is great, get a copy. Also with uh, Malcolm Dome, the man who invented the word, the terms thrash metal, and Xavier Russell, the man who was first on the scene when Slayer came around um, back in the day. So that's going to be coming up as a two-parter. Um, so listen out for that. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll be getting it way before everybody else. Um, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll be getting this podcast today, uh, nearly a week before everybody else, which is cool, I guess. I hope you like that. Um, so, uh, there's also loads of great free content and exclusive, sorry, not free, you pay for it, but exclusive content on Patreon. I'm sorry, I've gone gone on about it enough. But this is the point where I like to remind you that I really do enjoy being in your ears wherever you are whatever you're doing I want you to know that I really appreciate you if you're a Patreon subscriber I appreciate you even more but wherever you are I hope you are okay I hope you didn't mind all that Trump stuff sorry about that I didn't know where that came from you know it's just I just think it's way beyond politics with that guy but anyway you know enough is enough um but, you know, it's not something that's ever happened before. And it's just, it's, yeah, sometimes I just get on it. Look, I'll be honest with you, okay? Sometimes I just get, I just get on it. And I, you know, I mean, I've done all sorts, whilst this podcast on, you know, I've been, I've thrown shoes at pigeons on my balcony. Um, there's been all sorts of odd stuff go on and, and it's just in the moment. And and that is exactly what happened. And that that's kind of what you get with me, you know, I'm just being just being real folks I'm just being there with you honest it's just a free flow kind of thing and sometimes it goes off 
properly. Sometimes it explodes in my face. Sometimes you guys message me and say that that's the best bit of the podcast, um, which is a little disconcerting. Um, but, um, you know, I'm just being completely straight with you. That's the way it goes sometimes. Anyway, um, yeah, like I said, please do, uh, if you want to come and see the, uh, the, the the Camden show that I'm going to be doing, um, it's the Etc. Theatre. If you go to my uh, Facebook, you'll see that it's set up there as an event. If you go to Acid Rain's Facebook, you'll see that it's there as an event. You can find Talking Bollocks on Facebook. You can find Acid Rain on Facebook. You can find everything on Facebook, for fuck's sake. But you can also find us on, you can find me as Talking Bollocks, me as Keith Platt, um, and Acid Rain, all on Twitter. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram if you if you're into that kind of thing. I'm How Onead at How Onead on Instagram. That's H O W the digit one A R D. You can find Acid Rain on um, on Instagram um, and on all the usual socials. And please, as always, please do spread the word on the podcast because you guys are the guys that make it happen. This does not get any bigger. It doesn't expand and it doesn't mean that I can get, you know, more and more guests on without people getting behind it. And you are the guys to do it. Um, you can, it, it's on, it's on YouTube. You can listen to it on YouTube. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way it's, you know, it, it comes down to your app without you having to look for it. You won't miss any. Um, and also I've, I haven't said this for a while. So if you're on a limited data plan, use your brain download the podcast over Wi-Fi, download it over Wi-Fi and then you can listen back to it, you know, as and when. If you're a Patreon subscriber, use the Patreon app. It works like a podcast app. It's very cool. Um, but yeah, and use use Wi-Fi. You can always find free Wi-Fi. Go to fucking Costa if you have to. Go to Costa or Nero or any of the other coffee shops. Sign up to the free Wi-Fi, download the Bollocast, have a cup, have a cup of coffee, fuck off. Or even better, Go in, hook up to the Wi-Fi, download the podcast using their Wi-Fi, and instead of buying the coffee, use that mo- that money to subscribe to Patreon because it's about the same price. Anyway, I think I've gone on gone on about that enough. So, um, looking forward to seeing Mammal. Um, that's going to be cool. Um, at the at the end of this week, we um, I'm playing a gig with Acid Rain in Bridgend, and then the following day we go into the studio to start recording the next Acid Rain album. Fucking hell, I cannot wait. There's also going to be a big Acid Rain announcement on Friday, which is when this podcast comes out. Um, So we're going to be playing a Christmas show. Actually, fuck it, yeah. I'm going to put it on this podcast. Um, We're playing a a Christmas show at the Camden Underworld on Saturday, December the 22nd. It is a co-headliner with my friends and your friends, friends of the podcast, friends of the Bollocast, none other than Akakoka. So yeah, it's going to be a co-headline, Acid Rain playing a full headline set, Akakoka playing a full headline set, what better way to see in Christmas, hey? And that's an exclusive, on, exclusive? (laughs) I just invented a word, an exclusive. An exclusive, right, is when you get your excuse in before somebody picks you up on something. I, I think that is a pretty fucking top word. I mean, I think I invented the concept of a stealthy um, which is where somebody stealthily moves their camera around and does a selfie with you without you knowing. That's a stealthy. I, I'm, I do like that. I should copyright these fucks, shouldn't I? An, an exclusive. An exclusive. Actually, do you know what? 
Why not? Fuck it. Let's go online. Let's see if it's in the Urban Dictionary already. Let's see if I've invented a word, okay? What could be more exciting than this? Man types into computer. Excuse. Excusive. Let's have a look. Exclusive. Uh, only comes up with words for exclusive. Um, yeah. Did you mean exclusive? No, I didn't. No, no, right, okay. It looks like, folks, you were there. Right, search only for exclusive. No, it's there. It's there. You were there. You were there when a new word was born. It's exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. I have invented a new word. Bow down and worship me like the god of language that I am. An exclusive is when you is when you get your excusing exclusively before somebody actually accuses you of something. You are, you get your excuse in first. That fucking exclusively. Get in. Oh, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is what you tune in for, isn't it? A new words being invented in the English language. This empty head of mine might actually have a fucking purpose. Jesus Christ, that's amazing. At this point, I had to go and have a little lie down because I was so fucking pleased with myself. Now, back to the show. So it's uh, it's time to get some music on the podcast. And um, I've decided to go with a, a band that we are, um, I say we, Acid Rain, are going to be playing with in Birmingham um, at um, on the HRH Festival, HRH Metal, um, uh, on February, uh, when is it? Let's have a look, um, just in case any of, you, any of you are actually interested. Um, February the 17th, Sunday, February the 17th, we are going to be playing with Decapitated. Yes, mentioned on this uh, on this podcast uh, a number of times. And um, I, I mean, I really like the album Anticult. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, that's the cool thing about doing this podcast. Um, you know, you come across, sometimes you do interviews and people turn you on to new music and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's beneficial for me. And hopefully I turn you on to it and it becomes beneficial to you a lot of you may not have heard Decapitated some of you will love them some of you will just know them as the, the, the band that were the Polish band imprisoned for rape in the States and then let go a few months after all charges were dropped so um, that's how I'm going to finish the podcast so ladies and gentlemen um, boys and girls <laughs> Uh, my uh, my thanks to you for listening, as always. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Spread the word. Sign up at Patreon. Um, join us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Do everything that you want to do, but what, what I want you to do mainly is just look after yourselves. Uh, keep an ear out for the Slayer specials coming next month. That's going to be fun. And in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a track by uh, Decapitated from their album Anticult. This is Kill the Cult.